0: Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers.
1: I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's Mandalorian Recap, where we are talking somehow all about Chapter 13, The Jedi, which was directed and written by Dave Filoni. Oh, boy.
0: This episode is um, filled with so much. <laughs> Not just story wise, but there's just a lot of layers going on here. And for in a lot of ways, I really feel like this episode and its release feels like a movie release when it comes to Star Wars, just because it's, it's pretty divisive. Everyone has an opinion. It's the first watch is like, needs a second watch, you know, (laughs) It's, it's a weird situation, you know?
1: Yeah, I feel like right before we started recording, I was telling Charlotte, I feel like I've been thinking about this episode kind of nonstop since it aired 48 hours ago, something (laughs) like that. I don't know. But what's interesting is I think I've been thinking about the response to it a lot and my response to the response, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes sense. I feel like this episode is such a case study in all of the divisive things that happen throughout the Star Wars universe, <laughs> and it's kind of boiled down into one episode, and i it's very interesting and hard to talk about, I think, too, so
0: will probably be more rambly than usual. <laughs> <laughs> there's just a lot to cover. And I hope that we can cover it all, but the reality is is that we won't. And I know that when we finish recording, I'll be like, but wait, I have something else to add. Just because there's so much in this episode. Oh my God. <laughs> you say this in like every episode. <laughs> I know, but, but really this one in particular. And I think yeah. for a lot of us fans, this is the episode that so many of us were so nervous about too. Mm-hmm. And the one that was... Rumored for so long, and no one really knew how it was going to fit in, and if it was even going to happen, and yeah. how it would how would it, it would look. And
1: I think that before we get started, we should probably preface by saying that both of us enjoyed this episode a lot, and so I know some people had very very strong reactions to it. So almost like with our (laughs) Tross episode, Uh, just a disclaimer of kind of where we stand on it is that overall, we really enjoyed this episode. And there were for us a lot of positive things about it. There were some negative things about it. And like I said, I think we're going to be trying to talk through some of the complexities because I think this episode is an extremely complex episode, both in universe and Um, the discussions around it as it's been received by audiences. So I think we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about that too, more so than we have for other episodes. But just you're kind of aware of where we stand, generally speaking, we liked it.
0: Yeah, we both had a good time with it. Mm -hmm. So Caitlin, why don't we start off with a synopsis?
1: Yes. So the synopsis, okay, I watched this at about 7am the day it came out. And I was sitting in my bed on my computer watching it, which usually I'm not on my computer. I'm usually like at my TV, but I was like, woke up, pulled computer out, push play.
0: (laughs) Avoided internet, did not text. did not do anything. I didn't get up, didn't brush my teeth, didn't
1: get coffee, none of that. I was just like, got the computer out and started. So this episode, the cold open, is Ahsoka outside the city gates. There was really no fanfare about showing Ahsoka in the beginning. It wasn't a lead up to her. It was immediately, hello, this is Ahsoka. She has a conversation with the magistrate about the information that Ahsoka wants. Then we see Din and Baby Yoda arrive on Corvus. They go to the city, try to get some information. And from there, they are hired by the magistrate to kill Ahsoka. So they go out into the woods, they find Ahsoka, Ahsoka and Din fight a little, and I really enjoyed that fight. Then there is this little fireside chat between Ahsoka and Grogu, and then training in the morning, they hatch the plan to infiltrate the city. There's the whole sequence of Ahsoka and Din going through the city. Ahsoka makes it to the inner courtyard where she fights Morgan Elspeth. Uh, Din says goodbye to Baby Yoda, Grogu. (laughs) Ahsoka says goodbye, too. And our next stop is Tython.
0: Yes. Ooh, this was something else. Okay, there's so much to unpack. Let me tell you about my watching experience Okay, (laughs) since you talked about yours. I stayed up until 3 a.m. I told everyone (laughs) last week that that's exactly what I was going to do, and I did it. And not only did I stay up until 3 a.m., but I stayed up all night because it was, it was just so much I don't know if anyone else has had this experience when they watch an episode of the Mandalorian at 3am if you're on the east coast because that's when it launches uh 3am is very different than midnight but once you know it <laughs> happened the episode's over basically by 4am then you're reading the reactions and then all of a sudden it's 5 and then you're continuing to read your friends wake up and they're watching it and then you want to hear what they think and then I'm now like oh Caitlin's gonna wake up soon So I'm just going to stay awake because I want to hear her reaction. So then I watched the sun come up and (laughs) (laughs) it's just a lot. Then, yeah, then Caitlin and I talked about it and everything. And then I, quote, went back to sleep for two hours. I don't know. It's been a crazy 48 hours. (laughs) I, I, I say when I say that in the beginning of this episode, when I said that this felt like a movie release, that's how I feel after star wars movie releases is that there's just like so much to absorb and i couldn't get enough i think and all of a sudden it was just the time went by so fast it was a time suck this episode wow <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i got up and had texts from charlotte of just call me call me are you awake call me when are you watching call me <laughs> don't look online <laughs> don't <go> online. <laughs> <laughs> And then you were texting me while I was watching it, and I remember thinking, oh, no, she's still awake. Still awake. <laughs> and I just knew that you had not gone to sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, the sleep problems, they continue. They, <laughs> they really do continue. <laughs> if you guys
1: remember, um, Charlotte is not a good sleeper, and I am not a good hydrator. Like, Charlotte drinks a lot of water. I sleep a lot. We balance.
0: <laughs> a dyad in the forest. A
1: dyad. <laughs> a dyad in a
0: unhealthy habits
1: yeah yeah (laughs) but you know i'm working on my hydration uh and we need to encourage charlotte to work on her sleep schedule but this was okay because it's star wars and that's always the exception yes (laughs) (laughs) i kind of don't even know where to start i kind of feel like i kind of feel like maybe we should just start with a soga
0: okay let's do it
1: yeah so what were your first thoughts on seeing a soga
0: I was really surprised that we went straight into it, like really surprised, because the way Star Wars has worked in the past is that you're really looking forward to seeing a character and there's a buildup to it, a fanfare even, in terms of music, choice, and everything. I mean, think about Rey meeting Luke in The Force Awakens. Think about twin sons when you finally see Maul and uh, Obi-Wan face off. When There's so many examples across Star Wars where... there has such like there's such a reverence for the character um that the text even treats it as such and I feel like here by seeing her within the first 30 seconds of the episode kind of tearing down this village or the outside of the forest and everything the outside the walls I kind of appreciated this honestly um I know that you didn't you didn't really like it um but I did kind of think that oh that was an interesting choice and I'm glad that for a, a viewer who watches The Mandalorian who actually really doesn't have a lot of context around Ahsoka, it's like why should anyone care about like the reverence about her character uh, when she is a B character, uh, a cameo even perhaps in this episode. You know, it's she's the subject of the episode because Din is looking for her, but it's interesting I think to me how it's like why should. We care. In The Force Awakens, people care because it's Luke Skywalker. In Twin Suns, people care because it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we've known for 40 plus years that he's been in Tatooine during this time period. But with Ahsoka, it's it's like, oh, well, in terms of Din's story, what does it even matter? It's So I'm glad that we jumped right in. Also, there is a part of me that feels like that was very Star Wars to just kind of jump right in and kind of throw you into this, in the middle of this conflict that we really don't really understand that much besides Ahsoka trying to liberate city and get information, and evil city magistrate (laughs) doesn't care about, and she says it right away, right? She doesn't care about the citizens at all. So I guess that's also pretty Star Wars to me about like, like firmly establishing that this isn't that complicated in terms of a conflict. It's exactly what you think it is. At the same time, I feel like seeing her right away I I feel like there's just a a separation between, and this is only natural, I do think, between going from animation to a character that we know so well in animation to live action. And if I'm being honest, I even felt this way when we saw Ahsoka in Rebels, just because she looked different. She was different. She was older. It was a, a hurdle to get over for myself. I feel like by having someone new play her, there was a, like, a lot to get used to. I have to say on the second and I've watched this episode three times now, the second and third time I'm more used to, I'm getting used to her in this role, I guess. What about you?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I appreciate the cold open. I like, like you, I appreciate just going straight into it without kind of any fanfare. And I think that the comparison to Luke Skywalker and the force awakens is a good one. How these are kind of polar opposites in that regard, I think that the cold open for me is where the actual movement of the character of Ahsoka seemed the most off.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: that's why it's not my favorite part of this episode. For me, it was like I could tell that they were using the smoke and the fog for her to disappear in and out of it because some of that like acrobatics that we know Ahsoka for in animation doesn't translate as well or as fluidly into mm-hmm. this version of her in live action. And I think that's where it seemed the most obvious to me. I think using the fog, of course, is like clever, but I think that's where I could see it the most. Uh, the rest of her movements and like action scenes and stuff, I thought worked really well. It, it's it's strange how that cold open was kind of the first thing that we saw. And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this as far as her movement. But it definitely, it got better for me throughout the episode. So I'm glad that it did because the cold open wasn't my favorite part. But I I like the immediacy of seeing her kind of first thing in this episode. I will say I am one of those people. I I know you are too. The Leku didn't look as great as I wanted it to. Yeah. And the length of it and everything like that. And I've heard them say that it's because of like the action sequences that it couldn't be as long as like what we see in rebels her like is quite long and you would assume that it's even longer in this time period too it just it didn't look as great to me as i thought it would you could kind of yeah. see creases on the side of it which i now i'm kind of forcing myself to head that those are battle scars rather than just <laughs> creases of the actress moving and the headpiece. that's generous kayla <laughs> right kind of coming on and off um and that really kind of threw me off, even more so than the length of them, honestly. So I think as far as her appearance, that was the thing that uh, seemed the most off to me. I really liked the outfit choice. I thought the outfit was great with the gaucho pants. I, li- I love seeing her lightsabers again. I love the cloak. I thought... I thought she she read as Ahsoka to me. I know a lot of people have critiqued like the the dialogue that she was given, but I actually think that her dialogue was very Ahsoka to me. The way that she gave some of her lines, I think if we go back to some of the more serious moments with Ahsoka throughout Clone Wars and Rebels, she gives that kind of slow delivery a lot of Mm -hmm. the time. And so for me, I thought that the dialogue that she was given, for me, that fell right in line with, her characterization that we've seen before. So that was an off for me. I still, honestly, I'm still really bummed that it's not Ashley in any capacity, Ashley Eckstein. And um, I. it doesn't really make sense to me why Ashley wasn't involved in this depiction of Ahsoka, even as voice, as a consultant, um, anything. I, I really don't understand it, especially since we've had Katie pit pe- play Bo-Katan and she played her in animation too, you know, it's not, it's not the first time that we've had these characters in this show from Clone Wars and Rebels and now the Mandalorian crossover between these different mediums. So I think that's definitely a really bitter part of seeing this version of Ahsoka is that Ashley isn't involved in it. And knowing how important she is to a lot of fans, to us, of course, I, that hurts. You know, yeah. that that hurts a lot. And I know that won't be the experience for everyone with this show if they are not as familiar with Ashley, but that it's a bummer. It, it's a big bummer.
0: Yeah, and not only that, is that it's pretty clear that Ashley wasn't involved at all. And yeah. I think that her... I just wish that there was some sort of um, clear feeling about like a path, the passing of the baton of some sort, because I think it's good that they had a woman of color play Ahsoka. I think that she is always read as such and I think it makes perfect sense. Mm. But I do wish that Ash, like, I just wish that there was some uh, kindness, I guess, behind the scenes about that, that some grace, I guess, um, there, because I don't feel like there was. and it makes me feel sad because Ashley didn't just voice Ahsoka. She has actually brought so much to the Clone Wars and Rebels as like a steward of Ahsoka and Mm -hmm. Ahsoka's principles. And we've talked about this on the show before, but how important Ashley's brand, her universe was to our fandom. And, you know, I think that a lot of people didn't just see Ashley Eckstein, the actress, as the head of her universe. We saw, you know, our Ahsoka Tano creating clothes for fangirls when no one else really was and so I feel like there's a real connection between fans of the show and Ashley Eckstein so in and I think that we there's an illusion that I don't actually think is an illusion of connectivity between the cast and like reverence really about like understanding the magic that happened on the Clone Wars and Rebels and what Ahsoka means to so many people and I'm not ignorant to the fact that Ashley isn't the only person that makes up Ahsoka. I again, I didn't expect that, but I definitely wish that there was some grace between this handoff or some um, better public relations, I guess, for this. Especially yeah. considering the fact that Rosario Dawson, at this point, this juncture, this time, uh, is has a, a really, you know, pretty awful lawsuit going against her right now for transphobic assault. It really puts a shadow over celebrating this actress in this character. We can think that Ahsoka looked awesome and everything. Yeah. And we can be like, yes, like it was a really good move for you to cast a woman of color, but it doesn't change the fact that there are trans and non binary fans who feel so excluded from being excited about their favorite character, Ahsoka, when this very real world accusation that is has been pending for a while is in the air is looming is around and of course like star wars and lucasfilm and disney haven't really made any announcement or any sort of pr around uh this and she was cast after that assault uh, allegation as well so it was in the air it was uh, around there. it was known yeah so that's really disappointing and it's tough to talk about because as much as I'd want to be so excited about this casting choice, I just can't. I really just, as a, like, personally, I can't be super pumped about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. And with Ashley too, that, that passing off of the baton, I think is the best way to describe it because it just, it doesn't seem like any of that was there. Whereas even with harrison and alden for solo there was that whole publicized diner dinner right. play, <laughs> yeah. you know and even with billy d williams and donald glover they had discussions about that you know this isn't the first time that we've had different characters played by different people and it's it's just kind of it, it's hurtful knowing and ashley ashley embodies ahsoka so much she has been such a proponent for the clone wars she really is a center of the clone wars fandom her Mm -hmm. you know and her relationship to the character and to the fans in addition to her universe and without it too so to not have this connection like you said this passing off of the baton it just it really doesn't make sense it it feels mean-spirited and the fact that, like, none of us know why it is like that, it's, yeah, I, I really don't know what else to say about it. You know, it, it sucks, and it's mm-hmm. not fair, and it shouldn't have been like this. And that goes for Rosario as well. It sucks, it's not fair, and it shouldn't have been like this. You yeah. know, like Charlotte said, the lawsuit is still pending. Nothing has been finalized yet, but <sighs> make of that what you will, but... That was something that was known when they hired her too. You know, yeah. it really just kind of makes you wonder what is going on behind the scenes for some of these things, and all of that kind of in conjunction with everything that's happened with Gina this season. It, it's been frustrating as fans of the show, and and frustrating as putting it lightly, especially considering that neither Charlotte nor I are trans fans or non-binary or LGBTQ. Like we're, we're not a part of that community in the sense. And so there's a lot of privilege for us to just say it's frustrating when it's really hurtful to so it's many more than, Exactly. You're, you're so right. You can't even begin to understand, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think even to say uh, like a lawsuit like Rosario's is pending. It's not finalized. Yeah. That is quote unquote True. But that doesn't change the fact that it's still hurtful that an accusation like that is even out there. You know what I mean? It's not fair. It's not fair to any of us (laughs) that Lucasfilm has kind of put us in this position as fans uh, and as a community, too, to a lot of people from all different kinds of walks of life and people who identify differently, you know, Um, and it's frustrating. And I think, you know, Charlotte and I have gotten a couple comments recently about perhaps being too soapboxy on this topic. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I (laughs) just kind of want to talk about that because it's hard to get comments like that. Um, And again, Charlotte and I are coming from an extreme place of privilege in this conversation, right? Um, So it shouldn't really even matter that we're getting comments about being too soapboxy about this. But it kind of reminds me of people saying things, you know, like Star Wars isn't political when – It's always been political, always from the very beginning. This is a political story. And yeah, it can be really easy to separate out these things of story versus actress. Um, But that's not reality. And a lot of people don't, don't have the privilege to do that. And it's not as easy for them to do that. And it shouldn't be for us either. You know, these things aren't separate of each other. They're not. And to pretend otherwise is erasure of a lot of other things that are going on in the world. And I know that we're not always the best at talking about that. So the little bit that we do do (laughs) is not so boxy. (laughs) I think it's necessary and it's all a part of the conversation of how we consume these stories. Like we have a voice in this, right? Like you and I and, and all of all fans, right? And if we're not talking about these things, like how the things that Gina are doing, Rosario, the accusations against her, like who is, right? Like... You were talking about this the other day about how it shouldn't be up to the fans to kind of bring these conversations Make the change. Yeah, to bring these conversations to the forefront. But in a lot of ways, it is because if a multi billion dollar company that yeah, I love Star Wars, but they're a multi billion dollar company and profit is their game mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. And if if no one's going to say anything, then there's no incentive for them to change. Yeah. And you want to believe that people inside are aware of these things. And I, I think there are. I think there are a lot of people in Lucasfilm and in Disney that are aware of these things. Unfortunately, I don't think it's always the people in power or they just don't care. And that that's a whole other separate conversation. But these things are important and they do need to be talked about. Um, and I know that we don't always do it well or enough or in the best way, but it should be talked
0: about. I think that's so well said, Caitlin, because I think that all of these things do impact my viewing of Ahsoka in this episode. It's just it all is compounded together. And, uh, yeah, it's it's so complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that part of at at the top of the show, we talked about how this episode is kind of a lot of things are coming into this episode from within the Star Wars universe and also from the real world response to it. And I think one of the things that kind of put it, I guess, reframed my perspective of how I was kind of responding to these critiques because at first I was trying to separate out the parts of this episode that I didn't like, like Rosario, like just thinking about Ahsoka as a character, not as Rosario. I was really trying hard to do that. And, Um, that was easier for me in some respects. But I think like the example that I'm going to talk about now is like Dave directing it. And I think that this is something that we're going to be talking about throughout the episode too. There were a lot of critiques in this episode about people not liking the direction of it overall. And I started seeing some Not great comments from my perspective of people saying that Dave shouldn't do live action directing anymore. He should quote go back to animation. And um, I don't know if you guys know, but we're really big fans of Dave Filoni, and so it felt it felt so personal to me. And my first response was a defensive one, and I tweeted out this thread where I was basically like, "Dave has only directed three hours of live action." I forgot that we're all supposed to be perfectionists when we start a new craft or a new medium or something like that, which I still think is true, but I had people talking to me about it afterwards and they reminded me about, again, the privilege of someone like Dave as a white straight guy who just kind of gets to try and try again in this really uh, larger than life TV show production when there are a lot of diverse storytellers out there who never get that opportunity in the first place. And I, that, it was a reminder to me that all of these things are true at once, right? Like, there's a saying about, like, white men get to fail upwards in a lot of situations. And I think the example that I think of most in that scenario is, like, Benioff and Weiss from Game of Thrones and how, right, they, like, didn't have any prior experience and they were just kind of handed this multi-million dollar TV show of Game of Thrones and they had no experience whatsoever. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people of color, people in the LGBTQ community who get that same kind of opportunity. And looking at someone like Dave who has now directed the most episodes of The Mandalorian, some of which have been really well-received and some of which haven't been really well-received. And the idea that they're getting to learn on such a high-budget, high-profile show can seem unfair for a lot of people. And I really understand that. While at the same time, I don't feel like Dave has failed up in the same regard of someone like the Game of Thrones directors, because I think that Dave Filoni has more than like proved himself as, one, a a good learner, and two, a good storyteller within Star Wars itself. But the thing that and I was talking to our friend Danny about this and they reminded me that all of these kind of complexities lay on top of each other and they're all true at once. Right. And even though it's harder to talk about it and this goes along with the conversation with Rosario, for example, like it's important to talk about these complexities at the same time. Right. Like, yes, it's true that Dave deserves to work at live action. This is something he's wanted to do for a really long time. And he wants to stay in Star Wars. The Mandalorian is a good place to do that. But what's also true is that by giving Dave three, four more opportunities in the future, it means that that's opportunity for diverse storytellers that aren't there. And I really want more diverse storytellers in Star Wars. That's an area where Star Wars is really unbalanced, right? But then mm-hmm. on top of that, too, it's like I don't want to not acknowledge that, you know, like season one of The Mandalorian had a very diverse cast of storytellers um, mm-hmm. or of directors. Right. Like all of these things are true at once and we can't separate them out from each other either. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't know, it's it that this like episode has kind of helped me um, try and reframe how I look at people's critiques because. My first response is to be defensive about it, and to be defensive about someone like Dave that I study his work, I admire him as a person. Like that's not a secret. But at the end of the day, like if I say I want diverse storytelling in Star Wars, like that includes Dave too, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just I think it's a hard conversation because like I want to see more of his stories, but when I say that, that also means that other storytellers aren't getting an opportunity too. Mm -hmm. Um. So I don't know, I just, I find this episode really fascinating in that sense, and it's really made me think a lot about how I'm looking at these stories within The Mandalorian, and even like Ahsoka, even as her character, as the actress, with Ashley, it's all on top of each other, and like I said, trying to separate these things out is easier, sure, but it's not reality either.
0: (sighs) There's there's just so (laughs) so much there, there's so much there, and I actually... I sort of think that now we're in the middle of the season two, of season two, and it feels like the darker middle chapter. Oh, my God. You went there. Um, I mean, I did just because I think that we're level setting. You know, I think it's it's all it's coming up to the surface of all these different opinions. And I do think it was this kind of conversation and everything was all bound to happen in a weird way just because of the fact that season one was so like revered by critics it felt like the world was watching there is going to be divisiveness and i actually think we found the most divisive star wars episode um and it might be this one because it feels like people really really love it or really really hate it and it you also can't really think about things in that in those terms because i think there's just complications among all of them Mm -hmm. you know uh, and maybe it's even unfair for me to say that you either really, really love it or really, really hate it, because I think that that uh, discounts the extremely complicated emotions of people and how, like, as human beings, we're constantly reframing our perspectives and learning new things that are changing our our opinions and nothing is really set in stone because as humans, that's who we are. And like, yes, we can be stubborn, but I think that things are always constantly changing. And the more we learn, the more we understand. And I feel like for the past couple of days, I've just been felt, I felt like really overwhelmed by all of, all of these things compounding on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope that comes through. And I think that Caitlin, you had a really, a lot of really great things to say. Thank, thank you. And
1: I, yeah, I just, it's a hard thing to talk about. And I've like I said, I've been thinking about this so much the past couple of days, and I was literally – I was setting up my Christmas tree, and I just sat there, and I was just scrolling Twitter for like an hour in the middle of setting up my Christmas tree, just like reading through people's thoughts. Again, it, it – yeah, it's like four years ago, thinking about this podcast, I think all I thought about was, yeah, we're going to talk about the story.
0: Yeah, like and oh how
1: good Star Wars is. Like, yeah, and that's that's it. But I, I was a lot stupider back then too, and I was not as aware of things then as I am now. And uh maybe that was easier back then, mm-hmm. but these conversations are more necessary than ever. And and like we said, we're we're not at all the the best people to talk about these things either, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's where we're at also. Like this is this is all we can bring is what our experiences too right now you know
0: mm-hmm, absolutely
1: anyway i feel like this will be coming up throughout the actual discussion of the show i feel like we haven't really even dived into the episode itself <laughs> um yeah. but it, i don't know it just again it felt kind of necessary to lay it all out because this is such a complicated episode and i know that even in talking about it the actual details of the episode itself we're kind of going to be all over the place too so I hope you're still with us. (laughs) Sure, some people have been like, you know, maybe this isn't the episode of Sky I want to listen to. Which, fair, (laughs) very fair.
0: Yeah, you
1: do you. You do you. Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we start with something a little bit more lighthearted? Of, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a name. Oh my God,
0: we have a name. Baby Yoda has a name. We have a name. Baby Yoda has has a name. name. (laughs) And it's Grogo. (laughs) (laughs) so immediate thoughts i heard it and i thought baby groot (laughs) that's i think that's so interesting to me so i had this revelation last night that grogu sounds like george aka george lucas
1: i don't think it sounds like george but
0: it looks like george it's you know you you (laughs) change the the u to an e and (laughs) it's george and i think this is also very star wars i mean hello we have Luke Skywalker, George, yes, like it all makes sense. And I have this headcanon that John Favreau came up with this name and was like, George, we're naming the baby Grogo. It's just like your name. And George was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and John is like, George, please like me. Please like me. He's director, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That's He's like, it's like George, this will live alongside the ice cream maker as deep cuts
0: (laughs) and the the holiday special special
1: yeah (laughs) I think it's funny I heard it and I thought that's the name
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's true that's how I felt too it's like okay I'm just gonna live with this now yeah yeah people are still gonna call him baby Yoda it's gonna be really hard for me to get to that point but I actually think it might happen a little quicker than even I think yeah. Uh, just, just because of the way that names work. And once you have a name for something, it, it sticks. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's actually kind of cute. I like it. Uh, it, it's, it has two syllables, Caitlin. You know, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit of a complicated name, but it's not too long. Yeah. I think it also even in a weird way looks like frog, which I think Baby Yoda sounds a little frog. He does. And I... I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's just something to live with for a bit. Yeah. I I think that it feels new, just Mm -hmm. like Baby Yoda felt new. (laughs) It was like, oh, wow, now we have this Baby Yoda, this child. And yeah, it's going to be much easier, I think, to see Disney and Lucasfilm refer to not you know baby yoda as the child which never really sat well i mean i think that on the show we were like oh the child sometimes like maybe 30 percent of the time when we were talking about (laughs) him but it it didn't really uh, sit well and it didn't really stick and it'll be much easier for yield search engine optimization seo (laughs) my god so i'm i'm eager for that i think that makes sense and finally we have a name it's good it's always good when things have a name because uh you know, we we have characters like Frog Lady and Weakway, Bartender. <laughs> Those are their species names. Like, it's good we have a name. Yeah, it's
1: good to have a name. I remember last season when we met Baby Yoda, Grogu, and people saying that perhaps his name was, you know, Yodito, like baby Yoda, and I just thought that was so cute. (laughs) It is. It's adorable. It is cute. One of my favorite Grogu moments from this episode was when they were standing outside of the gate when Din is about to go find Ahsoka for the first time, and the officer, right-hand man of the Magistry, Lang, I think his name is, asks, what is that thing? And Grogu just kind of side-eyes
0: him. (laughs) I am loving the side-eye lately. I think that we got a good one in I think it was the second episode of the season. I, by the way, I am losing track of the chapter numbers. It's hard for me now. Thirteen, yeah. This one's easy because thirteen is you know spooky number and everything. But this, it's getting hard (laughs) as we get into the teens. Yeah, yeah, it is. But yeah, the the Grogu side eye
1: is something to keep an eye on as we. keep moving. And it re- it reinforces that he does know what people are saying and this was something that Din said when he was doing the training lesson with Ahsoka of he doesn't understand. And Ahsoka goes, "Yes, he does." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that when Mandal when Mando, this is also weird. It's it's hard to say in on the topic of it's hard for names to stick. I'm even still struggling to call Din Din, you know. Yeah. It's mando mandalorian it's easier and i think all those things can be true at the same time you know like we can say all of them because we all know what they mean but it's it's hard for things to stick i guess but when din says grogu for the first time and he makes a little noise it's so cute i was like this is the most adorable thing ever he turns his head
1: so uh it's so animated how he turns his head it's a big turn yeah and it's it's so cute. And then he does a little puppy head tilt, right? Uh-huh. So cute. <laughs> it is so cute.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's also talk about the ball being a motif. I think since yes. we're kind of talking about Grogu right now, this
0: – you guys, Lone Wolf and Cub. It's coming I back. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I was so excited. This is one of the first things I wanted to talk about with Caitlin when she called me after she watched it. But – Number one, I think this is really cool that we're back to the child being so fascinated by that little knob on the like switchboard for the razor crust, And it was one of the cuter moments in The Sin, uh, directed by Deborah Chow, uh, that really came back around even in the, the last part of that episode where he grabs it for himself and kind of disappears underneath the, the counter there. Uh, So I was wondering if that would ever come back, if that was like his favorite toy or something. And I was glad to see that Dave picked that up in this episode and uh, included it here, because I think the ball continues to be a symbol of Din's connection with Grogu. This is hard. With Grogu, because even when he noticed that the ball was missing in The Sin, episode three... You could see that, you know, he was, it, it, it triggered a memory for him to go back. And that was like the catalyst for him to make the choice to retrieve him. So here we have this further connection where, no, it's not the rock that he needs to, you know, levitate. It's this thing that they have a connection with both together that, uh, you know, that Grogu got and <laughs> Din pulls out of his satchel. And he makes it float, and Ahsoka is kind of in awe about this, about this connection that exists between them. And I think it's really—I thought it was really beautiful. And not only that, but in Lone Wolf and Cub, which is something that is heavily referenced at The Mandalorian. If you're a longtime listener, you know that we talk about this a lot. That the, even the concept of Din and Grogu comes from this this uh, you know father son character archetype from um, Lone Wolf and Cub which is a samurai series of films and um, a manga. And one of the things Caitlin was like, I really want this to happen in The Mandalorian. I posted this on our Instagram too, if you're interested about like the the visuals of this. In the first film of Lone Wolf and Cub, and Charlotte and I have
1: both only watched some of the films, not all, and we haven't read the manga. Uh, After Lone Wolf, the dad, his whole family is murdered except for him and his Son, who is a baby. And he the whole plot is that he is on a mission of revenge against the people who killed his family and his and his whole village, I think, too. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's just him and his baby left. And before he embarks on the path to hell, as he calls it, his need for revenge, he gives the baby a choice. And the the kid, it's literally a baby. I think it's like a year and a half, 18 months old, the Mm -hmm. child. And it's this really amazing scene of them in this temple. And the dad is on one end, the baby on the other. And on either side of the dad, there's the sword and the ball. And the dad says, if you choose the sword, you'll go on this path to hell with me in a quest for revenge. If you choose the ball... I'll send you to the nether world with your to be with your mother. I think he says, I'll send you to be with your mother in the netherworld, which mm-hmm. means that he's gonna kill his son yeah. so that his son is not on the path to hell with him, which it's it's such a fascinating dialogue, I think. And the child crawl the child isn't even walking at this point, his son, and he crawls forward and he chooses the sword. And I thought that this this is my favorite scene from Lone Wolf and Cub. I've talked about it a bajillion times on the show. I thought it was really important. It's the whole setup for Lone Wolf and Cub. And this idea of destiny is very interwoven. And fate is very interwoven in that whole scene. It looks like we're going to be getting a version of that in The Mandalorian, hopefully. Maybe not this season, yeah. maybe next. But it's something that I really appreciated Like, it felt so heavy-handed, the fate aspect of it in Lone Wolf and Cub, and it felt like something that would be very Star Wars. So the idea that we're getting something similar is really exciting as someone who really enjoyed that scene in Lone Wolf and Cub.
0: Yeah, and the link here is that at the end of the episode, Ahsoka informs the Mandalorian to go to this planet where there's a, a, a seeing stone. Um, and there Grogu can choose his path. And just the idea of Grogu being able to choose his own path, I think, is so important here. And mm-hmm. a real revision of how we've seen the Jedi and the Jedi Order in the past, right? Yeah. Of, it has been, which is like a major thing that, you know, a ton of people talk about about how crazy it is that the Jedi would just basically abduct children, ask their parents, hey, can we take them away? You'll never get to see them again. To be trained in the Force to become a Jedi and it's messed up, (laughs) but here we have this ability. And obviously, yes, that happened to Grogu, by the way, as we learned in this episode, that he was trained in the Jedi temple, which is crazy, but makes a lot of sense. And I think that it, it's really interesting because here we have him choose his path even further and hopefully something similar happens. And I honestly think it will just because of the way that the series has really echoed Lone Wolf and Cub over and over and over again. And yeah. even just with the tone of this episode, and we're talking about like specific characters at this point, but the tone of this episode is ultra samurai. It was it couldn't be more on the nose in terms of samurai direction, the sets, the way that the silence exists, the violence of it all, the the fighting. <laughs> it was <laughs> over the top, almost, to some people's critique. I really loved it. And a weird thing actually happened when I was watching this episode is that... So I stayed up until 3 a.m. Everyone knows that now. (laughs) But at 12 p.m., I was like, what should I do? And I was like, okay, I'll watch Once Upon a Time in the West. Never seen it. And then I watched that. It's like almost a three-hour movie. And then I watched this episode. And that movie which again we all know westerns and samurai movies all influence star wars and they work together in this way where the the tones are similar the silences are similar and holy crap (laughs) when you talk about the silences and then you go from uh once upon a time in the west to uh, this episode of the mandalorian where both of these movies and shows used silences in such a a widespread way. Like I would go as far as to say that once upon a time in the West is like a 60% silence. (laughs) And I would say a lot of this particular episode of the Mandalorian was silence too. And I think that Dave Filoni used it in a way that really worked for me in terms of building tension and allowing my mind to wander what was happening in each of these episodes or like what was happening with the characters and where they had been and what was going to happen next. And uh made me kind of refocus about what I really thought was going on. And I don't know. I, I found I found it all really, really well done in in my case. But just to kind of bring it back to the lone wolf and cub thing is that the, the choice between the sword and the ball. I mean, I really do hope that Grogu has a choice, a really similar choice between the ball and the sword, because the ball now symbolizes din in his relationship right Mm -hmm. uh and in 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 the mandalorian world and the sword now could symbolize the jedi and like how incredible would it be if grogu chooses to not follow the ways of the jedi and uh, the jedi looks so different right now and ahsoka says it even a couple times about like there's so few of them left and we don't know anything about luke's temple or whatever or like what even a training would look like especially because ahsoka said no so it's it's really interesting to think about uh, how the story might push the the fact that, you know, he could choose to not, not follow the ways of the Force. And how would that help Din's own story about where who he is as a Mandalorian and like now a father? And it pushes the story of the Mandalorian in a bunch of different directions that I just wasn't really expecting. And I'm really interested to see where it goes. I'm really excited for some weird force stuff at this temple. Yes. yes. <laughs> How, what
1: What is going to happen there? I think we thought about this w- with the potential of them going to Ilum. And yeah. yeah, I I completely agree. I think that the other interesting thing about Lone Wolf and Cub is there's that scene of them walking in the in-between yeah. of lo- the father and the son. And it's this highly stylized scene of them literally on this path with I think it's orange and yellow on the other side of them just like straight neon color Mm -hmm. and uh for me it kind of reads as them walking this path of not not ascribing to their traditional roles of father and son but they're on this path to hell together and this need for revenge is kind of fueling them Mm -hmm. but they're kind of Even though in this scene they're staying on the path, they're deviating from, like, the path of the world and how they both kind of should have been dead at this point, too. I just think it's interesting and it makes me wonder if – I think, like, that's part of the – part of what Din and Grogu are both learning is that they don't have to – it's hard to explain, but Din doesn't have to – be as strict of a Mandalorian as he needs to be as he thinks he should be. And he's starting to learn this from characters like Bo-Katan and even Ahsoka at the end of it, giving him the Beskar staff, even though Tin forever with his honor is like, I didn't kill you. I can't have that, you know? His honor. It's like a comedy
0: point at this point.
1: <laughs> Ahsoka is literally like, what? Please just take it. <laughs> I just, and even when he tells her that the magistrate has ordered him to kill her, he's like, well, I didn't actually agree to it. He's like, I crossed my fingers behind my back.
0: <laughs> See, they didn't get it in writing. They Don't worry. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have to kill you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's hilarious, kind of. But one of the things I did want to mention about – like, this is the quote from Ahsoka about Tython at the very end of the episode. She says – After she says she's not going to train him and Din is asking her why. She says there is one possibility. Go to the planet Tython. There you will find the ancient ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the force. Place Grogu on the seeing stone at the top of the mountain. Then Grogu may choose his path. If he reaches out through the force, there's a chance a Jedi may sense his presence and come searching for him. Then again, there aren't many Jedi left. Which I think is kind of funny—the idea that Grogu could potentially choose to be trained as a Jedi, and Ahsoka is basically saying, "Someone might come for him. (laughs) I don't really know."
0: (laughs) The ambiguity of it all.
1: I think it's funny. She's like, "I don't know. Someone could come for him.
0: (laughs) Someone could not. Who knows, man? You know. uh,
1: I don't know if I'll hear him. Someone else could hear him. Who is to say?" But I think I think that this whole like I said, I think that her dialogue actually read very felt very much in character for me, actually. I've been watching so many Ahsoka compilation videos the past couple of days and I've cried a lot in them. <laughs> Nothing hits
0: harder for me than the Anakin Ahsoka relationship. <laughs> And it's it's so funny to me. I mean, it, it's <laughs> that you. This is something that you like really at- are attached to. I'm so. And I agree. I think that it's it's perfectly written and it's amazing. But you eat it up. You love just, it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cried so much over it. But <laughs> Again, thinking about kind of her. I think a lot of people have talked about the slow delivery of her lines in this in this episode and. I think that she's always had this kind of... When she's being serious, she's had this slow delivery. And this is something that had to be trained into her. Because when you're looking at early Ahsoka in the first couple of seasons of The Clone Wars, she's very rash in her decision. She's very... She's snippy, right? She snips. And there's that couple of episodes, which I had kind of forgotten about in early, I think, season end of season one, season two, Clone Wars, where she is in charge of a mission and gets all of her men killed. And mm-hmm. she really loses confidence in herself. And it's a whole training thing of a, so of Anakin trying to teach her how to lead. And then she learns the lesson. But then in the next episode, she does the same thing. And it's on, I think it's on Felucia. And I feel like everything happens on Felucia. I'm like, <laughs> when in doubt, the episode it's is Felucia. on Felucia. <laughs> Which I don't think is true. But she's having, she's she's battling. And Anakin keeps telling her, you need to leave. You need to leave. And Ahsoka is so rash. And she's going, no, I've learned my lesson. We can take it. We can do it. And she's speaking so quickly. And Anakin finally basically drags her out. And as they're going away, she sees all of their their entire base explode. And he's telling her, you don't see the bigger picture here. You don't get it. Your foresight is not that great yet. And she gets punished by the council for her rash decision making. And even, even the episode Holocron Heist, when she's captured by Cad Bane, after she's rescued, she's running with Anakin. And Anakin is the one being rash. And she yells at him. She goes, I love it. She goes, Master. And she yells at him. She goes, Master. And she slows herself down at that point. And I think that we've seen her do this throughout the Clone Wars. And the in season, whatever it is, when she's captured by the Trandoshans and hunted, And at the end of it, she tells Anakin in this very calm manner, you know, I survived because of you. And it's very slow and purposeful. She's very careful with her words. And she's like that throughout Rebels too, even more so than in Clone Wars. And so I think this very slow delivery of some of these lines, it makes a lot – like it felt in line with what we've seen from her throughout. And I think that time has made her more serious and Perhaps even a bit more cryptic <laughs> with these things like uh, what she tells Din at the end as far as the Jedi. I think this is something else that we could talk about too is the title itself, The Jedi. And all of us online are like, but I'm no Jedi. Why <laughs> Why are we calling it this? Why isn't Ahsoka saying anything about this? And I think the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter to Din. Like, this title is from Din's perspective, in a way. He's searching for the Jedi. This is the only lead he has. To him, Ahsoka is a Jedi. Mm-hmm. It doesn't... Like, what, what use is it for Ahsoka to tell her sob story to Din about leaving the Jedi Order? It doesn't matter. And there's... I think it's very specific, probably, from Dave in this dialogue that she never refers to herself as a Jedi either. And, like, that that last line in that quote of, then again, there aren't many Jedi, she doesn't say, then again, there aren't many many of us us left. Yeah. She does say, though, when she's talking about Anakin, she says, um, what does she say? Uh, There's fear in him. I've seen what that can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight, the best of us, which feels like that whole delivery, that whole line is, of course, a bit more emotional for her. And so I think it kind of makes sense for her to say the best of us, almost like the best of us then. Because mm-hmm. that's not, there are no Jedi anymore. But after that, she doesn't she doesn't say, you know, there aren't many of us Jedi left. Uh, she kind of keeps her distance a little bit. And it's not important for her to tell Din the semantics of her not being a Jedi. Whereas that scene in Rebels, when she tells that to Vader, that's a lot more impactful. It has a lot more meaning. Because there she's seeking revenge for Anakin. And she can do that. It's almost like taunting. Like she can do that now because she is not a Jedi. She can feel those emotions. And I think all of her dialogue in this episode is very interesting when comparing her to like that moment specifically in Rebels of her need for revenge. Whereas here we kind of see her reciting back very... Jedi-esque lessons about anger and attachment, and it kind of came out of left field. I don't think any of us were kind of expecting that from her, and I'm still kind of thinking through it and what it means for Ahsoka in this timeline to be talking about things like attachment and training and anger, you know?
0: There is so much there. When I first heard the attachment line, I recoiled. I was like, I cannot believe we are bringing attachment back into Like this time period, because it felt so prequels. Attachment to me has always felt like a problem with the Jedi. It to me is their fatal flaw, is misunderstanding that love can save the galaxy, as we see in Return of the Jedi, you know? And personally, I really, really, really wanted this to be drilled into our heads in the sequel trilogy that this was um, the mistake of what came before in terms of you know, the second trilogy, the prequels. And I really wanted it to kind of really bridge the gap about love can save the galaxy. And I think it happened, but it wasn't over the top. And I think what's interesting is the immediacy in which I recoiled upon second watch and third watch, there's so many different ways that this line actually can go. You know, I think that it's weird because I'm like, what do you mean an attachment? Like, (laughs) this isn't bad. You're really going to turn them away you need to train him. And then I'm like, wait, is Ahsoka saying that because she actually doesn't think that Jedi training and a separation of the father and the son is smart because she's seen what that sort of separation can do to someone? Or is she really saying something similar to like the lines of what the Jedi Order would say back in the prequel time? And I'm more inclined to say that With the very little dialogue that we get of Ahsoka and the understanding about how purposeful everything is, especially written by Dave Filoni, I feel like she is doing this for the good of the child versus the Jedi Order thinking of the prequels. And I say this because I actually rewatched the Disney gallery, The Mandalorian Behind the Scenes. And if you all remember, Dave Filoni had that amazing speech that went viral on on YouTube, it like blew everyone's mind. And it was really talking about how the fight with Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace, the stakes are really high because it's not just about this like sick fight between Jedi and Sith. It's really about the fact that the, the sin of the prequels is the fact that Anakin was separated from his mother, Shmi, and he has such a, a love for her, right? And how this fight actually demonstrates that it's not, the fight is really about who is going to be the proper guardian for Anakin Skywalker. Is it going to be Qui-Gon who really fully understands Anakin to like an extent, or is it going to be Obi-Wan who is rigid and doesn't really let Anakin be Anakin is who is going to meet the needs of Anakin Skywalker. And we see that Obi-Wan really just doesn't necessarily meet the needs of Anakin Skywalker. So thus begins the tragedy of the prequels. Obviously, Jay Filoni says this so much better than I can, but I mention this because the whole conversation is really about attachment and how that was an original sin and how the separation of Anakin and Shmi is bad. (laughs) And I think that maybe that is known from Dave, that when writing this episode, that Din and the child should not be separated. That Grogu had already been separated from his family and now he has an attachment to his father in which he loves him so much to the point where when Ahsoka and Grogu are talking in their heads which I think is really cool by the way you know Ahsoka's like dang Grogu loves you so much he thinks about you as a father he is obsessed with you <laughs> and i it's adorable but i think that Ahsoka in a way is probably like you know, he's vulnerable to his, his fears and his anger. And that's because he loves you so much. And that's not necessarily a negative, but I don't think we should go down this path of of training you fully as a Jedi Knight. She says, no, I've seen what feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight, the best of us. I will not start the child down that path. Better to let his abilities fade. And I think that's her only thought about what can happen to the child is don't go down this path of the Jedi. I've Number one, I've seen what can happen to... My master, Anakin Skywalker, who I loved, but I also seen what happened to me, which I am dealing with my own trauma. Right. And I think that here she is saying, you can change that. You don't have to do that. That is the ways of the old. We can find a new path forward. And I honestly think that this show is going to show us a new path forward for Din and Grogu, whether that is uniting Mandalore, finally again under a force-wielding Mandalorian, and that maybe that Mandalorian is a foundling like Grogu. Uh, There's all these different ways that this can go, but I'm more hesitant to recoil at the attachment discussion just because I actually think that there's a lot of layers here to this conversation. What do you think, Caitlin?
1: Yeah, I recoiled from it too (laughs) when I first heard it, like, we're doing this again. Yeah. In, yeah. This <laughs> in this economy. In this economy. I think it really made me think about where Ahsoka is in this timeline. And I think it's strange because at the end of the Siege of Mandalore and our conversations about her then, I think we were all talking about her as going into a very isolated and lonely period of her life. And I kind of think that's probably still true. And I think I underestimate the trauma sometimes of what happened to Anakin on her. Because now she knows. In this timeline, she definitely knows what has happened, right? And I almost think of it similar to a lot of what we read into Obi-Wan in his stay on Tatooine. of, Of living with that burden and that guilt of what happened to Anakin. And that now... Part of that is shared with Ahsoka, too. And I remember there's that whole conversation in the Siege of Mandalore between Maul and Ahsoka. And Maul tells Ahsoka that Anakin has been groomed to be the next Sith apprentice. And Ahsoka says, no. She says, no, your vision is flawed. And I remember when that happened and we were talking about it and talking about, okay, what is Ahsoka going to do with that knowledge going forward once she sees Darth Vader rise? Does she even really know about Darth Vader? I think there's a lot of conversation about that that isn't necessarily clear in that timeline. And I wonder if now, after the events of trials of the of I did this last time too, uh, Twilight of the Apprentice, she's remembering that conversation and it's this guilt and burden of Mul told me he told me all of this and I I ignored it, you know. And what has that meant for the galaxy? The whole conversation about the attachment, because I think it's right when we were talking about like how awful it is that the Jedi take children from their homes and train them in the temples. And we've always been people like that is so flawed. But the flip side of that, too, is like these are children with very (laughs) strong powers and uh, that can be dangerous, too. Right. They should be trained. And I think that that's that's what Din says here when Ahsoka says he's his anger, he's vulnerable to his fears, and Din says, "Yeah, so you should train him because of that." And that is also true too. But I think what you're saying though is right about there's going to be this new version of what could happen of someone like Din training someone like Grogu, potentially. Not potentially, I think it will happen, especially now that Din has a much better idea of who Grogu is, what -hmm. his powers are exactly. I think we're going to see that. I feel like we've been talking a lot this season about Din as a parent and how he's learning how to do it. But a big part of that is that he doesn't actually know who Grogu is. Yes, he has an attachment to him and it's real. And I think Din himself is starting to realize how deep that attachment is
0: himself. Yeah, especially with that go- goodbye scene in this. I think that was so tender and sweet and sad. Oh, my gosh. I, know it was, it was, I thought it was really beautiful. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's clear that the attachment is so strong between them, that they are father and son. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think it's interesting that the only thing that I think is really interesting about Ahsoka's lines here is that she said, better to let his abilities fade. And the idea that maybe the galaxy doesn't need more Force users. I find that really fascinating coming from her. And because I was right in these compilation videos, it's all about the Siege of Mandalore too. And one of the ones, a replay of the dialogue from her on the bridge with Rex right before Order 66. And she says, you know, Jedi, as a Jedi, we were trained to be keepers of the peace, but all I've been is a soldier. And to a certain extent, she's still kind of doing that albeit in a very different manner than she was in the Clone Wars. And I just I find her trajectory through the series of Star Wars, the series of Star Wars, so mm-hmm. interesting. And this line of better to let his abilities fade is fascinating because Ahsoka is someone who I think when she was younger would have said like, no, he can be trained and be used as a beacon of hope for other people. And there are so few force users left. We need him, right? And it's my duty to help him so that he can help others. I think that might have been her response when she was younger. But now things are very different in the galaxy. She's seen a lot more. She knows a lot more. she I'm going to assume that she knows Vader is gone, <laughs> that Anakin is gone, again we don't know if they've spoken. I don't know. I I thought I thought it was a very interesting conversation and I think you're right. Like her kind of proposing that there's this other path forward besides just training and that that is valuable too and that maybe not everyone needs to be trained and that dogma of the Jedi, which she even admits doesn't
0: really exist anymore. It's all fascinating. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it, it, there's just so many layers and I personally feel like what was revealed in the moment of understanding like the attachment that uh, the child has to the Mandalorian and everything is that this this entire episode there's a sense of shared trauma you know throughout all of them you know uh, season one really revealed to us Din's own trauma with droids and his past and everything and how he overcomes that Uh, And it's probably still a work in progress, as these things are, you know? And in this episode, when Ahsoka and Grogu are, like, speaking through their minds, which, by the way, I think is actually a really cool addition to understanding that you can speak through, uh, or you can, like, rifle through people's memories and things. And what was happening here uh, was Ahsoka was like allowed into Grogu's memories and they had like a really respectful conversation as opposed to like Kylo Ren using that ability on Rey and other people and like rifling through their mind. It's, it's interesting to see how there are like two sides to that ability. And it, I could be wrong about this, but this is the first time I've ever seen it in like a visual medium, you know, not just a like a comic or something or like in books. So I thought that was an interesting uh point and yes it did feel super respectful. But also just this idea that Grogu lived in the Jedi Temple for like a long time and was trained in the Jedi Temple. And then after the purge he was hidden away. It was taken, who knows? <laughs> like there are theories out there that maybe it's Joe Costa new. That would be cool. But uh who like hid him away or he was taken by the Empire. Like who knows, right? That story hasn't been told. But what's what has been told in this episode is that His memory is so spotty and it's definitely because of his own trauma. Did he spend his entire time in his little, his little, uh, cart, (laughs) you know, his little orb, his egg or, and therefore like the days turned into weeks and he has no memory because he was inside that the entire time, uh, or were things that were happening to him so awful that he has deleted them from his memory as, you know, trauma survivors do. That's how it works. And I just wonder if there's this like sense of familial bondage here about like how can we get through these things together with Grogu and Din. And, and not to mention that Ahsoka has her own, as Caitlin talked about before, set of trauma that she is probably still working through in this juncture of what is seeing Ahsoka. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit about like when we see Ahsoka here, I think that Din looks at her and is like, she will tell me the answers. She will help me. She will be the person that I will be able to like hand off the child to because he doesn't need me. He needs someone like her, you know? And there's like a sense of like understanding of like heroism, you know, between them and the episode because The Mandalorian is about The Mandalorian and not Ahsoka. We don't really get to see this like heaviness of what Ahsoka is doing in her life. Like, is this before the rebels prologue? Is this a- our epilogue? Is this after the rebels epilogue? Like who knows? The debate is on fire. I don't really know where I stand on that, by the way. I, I'm not sure, but what is true is that Ahsoka isn't a perfect person either. And I think that Dan kind of sees her as a perfect like Jedi at this point, but we know yeah. that Ahsoka has a lot of baggage and a lot of things that she has to work through. And, things that she is like continuously like learning and doing. And I think this is something that actually as Star Wars fans, we can like fall into the trap of a lot about understanding that our, our favorite characters are learning and growing as well. And that every time we see them, it's not going to be the perfect, uh we're, they're not like going to be perfectly fine, perfectly great. It doesn't make a really interesting story. So whatever version of Ahsoka we see here. If, is she too violent? Is she does this come off as like not right for Ahsoka? Like we have no idea where she is in her point of view or her mindset at this point. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think that the the show doesn't really necessarily give us much to work with because I don't think it's its job to about how Ahsoka is dealing with her own use of the force and like her her friendships, her companionships. I, I remember talking to you after this and you were so you were sad because Ahsoka's alone again. She's just alone. And I think that's totally valid and everything. And it's like, okay, is she happy being alone? Is she sad being alone? What's going on and what's going on with her? So, I just bring that up because I think there's, you know, there's just a lot of pressure about what Ahsoka was going to be dealing with and doing during this time, but just to like recenter us and that the, the show is really about Din and the child's own journey journey. And Ahsoka is a steward, a stepping stone to help Din learn about what he needs to do next. And as fans, what makes it so exciting as someone who's seen every piece of Ahsoka media and read all of the stuff, right. Is that we can imagine all the different places that she's been and where she is and what happens next, but the show doesn't necessarily have to give that to us. Because what the show does have to give us give to us is the next part of the story for Din and Grogu, and how that will work. And just to like kind of catapult us into this other question is, I've seen a lot of people talk about how um, maybe Ahsoka wasn't the best choice for this episode for the Jedi that Din meets. And what do you think about that, Caitlin?
1: I think this is a good segue into this conversation because last the past couple of weeks, as we've been leading up to this rumored Ahsoka episode, which turned out to be the Ahsoka episode, right? Is one, we had the expectations, right? of If this is not our favorite version of Ahsoka, that's okay. Right. We have literally a decade worth of concrete content from her uh, as opposed to 40 minutes, right? This is not the end all be all of the character. Number two, Remember we were talking about if she knows Luke, if she has Ezra, has she found him, is she with Sabine, all these things. And it was like she doesn't need to tell Din any of this because at the end of the day, what she tells Din has to be in service of his story because he's the main character here. And this falls right in line with us talking about why she didn't correct him when he's calling her a Jedi. You know, Mm -hmm. she wasn't like, actually, Din, I'm not a Jedi. Here's (laughs) why. Yes, I have lightsabers. They're not the ones, the original ones I had. They're not even the second ones I had. You know, like, (laughs) she doesn't need to go through this whole thing because it's not important. (laughs) She's not a
0: Wikipedia article. She's not
1: a (laughs) Wikipedia She's not going to give her Wikipedia article to every new character that she meets, right? And this is why we don't need to hear if she's found Ezra or not. This is interesting, of course, when we think about the Thrawn reveal at the end of the episode. Um, which, uh, for as much as I've been saying that I've enjoyed Ahsoka's dialogue, I the Grand hated Admiral that. Thrawn hated n- it. Yeah, did not like it. We,
0: I just wish she didn't say Grand Admiral. Oh, we could have just said so Thrawn. formal. Yeah, yeah just we, say Thrawn. It's we could have just said
1: Thrawn. <laughs> yeah. uh, now I lost my train of thought a little bit. Anyway, okay. So we were talking about what she was going to say, how it had to be in service of Din and Grogu's story. And that would mean we're not necessarily going to get answers of have we found Ezra yet, right? But I think it's kind of interesting, the conversation of like why Ahsoka, um, was she the best choice for this Force user for Din to meet? And I think the comparison, I think people have commented on this episode that, like what is what is this for Den? Right, he's our main character. How has he grown from this episode? What has changed for him? I think a lot has changed for him, honestly. But I think that a lot of it is narrative. Uh, a lot he has a lot more knowledge, right? We've been saying for a long time that Den needs to have a history lesson, and I feel like he's gotten that in a few of these episodes this season. And I find it really cool that Bo-Katan's episode was giving Din more of a history lesson about the Mandalorians. And in that episode, Grogu wasn't really around in that episode. It was Bo and Din. And then in this end, Bo is a Mandalorian, and she's telling Din about Mandalorians. And now we have Ahsoka, a Force user, a Jedi for Din's purposes, telling Grogu, sharing Grogu's story with Din in a way that wasn't possible before and we're getting Grogu's history and his story. And I think it's interesting to have these two for lack of a better word cameos doing this, but both of the things that they're doing are for Din and Grogu. It's not for mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. And I think that that's important because I think there is a risk in a story in a show like The Mandalorian becoming cameos, right? I think that I think that's a really valid critique because at this point we've had Boba Fett, we've had Bo-Katan, and now we have have had Ahsoka. That's over half of the episodes. It's not a far reach to say that there are a lot of cameos in this show. And we've had a lot of high profile actors in this show, too. Yeah. So I, I think I think that that is all really valid. And I think that's, again, part of the kind of fascination with the response to this episode of why Ahsoka And the flip side of that is also why not Ahsoka? And I think both of those are kind of valid routes to go down. And it kind of like that is then up to the storytellers. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have because I don't know where I stand on it. Because for me, I like having these connections. I think it's fun. And I think that I, I feel like I've heard Dave talk enough about being careful with characters that... I trust his decisions for including characters like Bo Katan and Ahsoka. But then I also recognize that a lot of people don't agree with that approach, too, that they think it wasn't necessary to have Ahsoka even as fulcrum in Rebels, or that she, it was cool that she was fulcrum, but including her like in the world between worlds wasn't necessary, right? I think that. Like that was too much. And I think that these are all really valid concerns because do I want the Mandalorian to become cameo of the week from the Clone Wars and Rebels? Should it be that? Because I think some people were looking at the Mandalorian in that it was going to be totally disconnected from the saga. And I think that a lot of the marketing kind of pushed it to be that way of this Western, the Outer Rim No Jedi. And now suddenly we have the Jedi, who was the most associated next to Obi-Wan Kenobi with Anakin Skywalker. And we're out here talking about if she's gonna talk about Luke Skywalker, you know? And I think that so I think that it makes sense for people to say, is Ahsoka the best choice here? I don't think she is. I think I think that's really fair for people to say that when they're kind of when some of the marketing of this show was that it was going to be a completely new story in a completely new time frame, but now we're having a lot of very, very direct connections to Skywalker-centric stories, mm-hmm. and some ways I think that that works really well. And some ways, I don't like. I'm still kind of wondering about the Boba Fett connection, um, but that one was like so much more lower stakes uh, for this for the story of the Mandalorian than Bo Katan and Ahsoka. And I think it's a really complicated thing. And I've tried to think about this episode if it wasn't Ahsoka, if it was an unknown Force user that they were told to go and meet, that they happened upon. Would we have still gotten the same information? Probably, because another Force user would have been able to do the same thing Ahsoka did. Really, the only thing that would be different is we probably wouldn't have gotten this uh, Anakin Skywalker kind of mention. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to think about how we would have gotten the same outcome for Din if it was a different character, potentially a different Force user character. So, does that make Ahsoka valuable? Does that just make her fan servicey here? Right.
0: I- it's complicated. I'm just not, it, I'm biased because I actually think Ahsoka is the best choice here. Like, to me, if we're going to include Bo Katan, her reference for the Jedi is Ahsoka, especially within the last season of The Clone Wars, where Ahsoka and her formed such a valuable partnership. And I feel like if, you know, Din was searching for answers and he was going to go to the Mandalorians, Bo-Katan is the one that has the connection to a Force user, and that's Ahsoka. And I feel like if that was going to come up, that's who was going to come up, you know? And to me, if I think about, like, this being a random Jedi... I don't know. I'm just like my preferences, man. I feel like it's just not as fun. And I think that maybe the real linchpin here, though, is the fact that the weight of that attachment conversation could potentially be the reason why this entire episode exists, because of that point of view of this idea of Ahsoka being witness to the entire Skywalker line and what exactly happened and having this extremely unique perspective of criticizing the Jedi even before they fell and therefore having this ability to kind of forewarn Din that maybe this isn't the right path and maybe there's another path maybe there's other ways to avoid it and I don't think you would have gotten that perspective from some random Jedi and yeah I think it would be fun to expand the universe even more and add to it and everything. But I also think it's fun to have characters that are my favorite in the episode. And I just, I find it really interesting. And this isn't in a slight at anyone. I just want to say that. I just find it really interesting that Star Wars fans seem to not want their favorite characters to appear in many places. Where this, to me, is a really strange thing about this fandom. Where personally i want my favorite characters to appear in many places as they possibly can because i want their stories to continue and i i understand that like the economy of saving them for like the brevity of their story is also important but i guess the difference here is that i have some sense of trust in the the storytellers and like the overall sense of the entire star wars saga that i want it all to interconnect and I'm also just honestly, like, I'm pretty thrilled that she's in this episode, like, as from a personal standpoint, because now I get to field questions about, like, who is Ahsoka? Why should I watch The Clone Wars and The Rebels? And then I get to describe how much that both those shows really mean to me. And I think that's really fun as a fan. But in terms of the story, I really do believe that that whole attachment conversation is the reason why she's in this episode.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because the attachment, right? We like we know explicitly what she's talking about and we've talked about the dark side in Grogu and how that could come up and how he does need training, but does he need training from a Jedi? Maybe not actually. And just yeah. like Din is learning that maybe the, the this is the way creed that he follows so closely is not the only way to be a Mandalorian that being trained by a Jedi is not the only way to be a force user but I think and and you're right like I'm with you I like these big connections um, but I usually like them best for my favorites too (laughs) you know that's the really personal side of it is that Ahsoka isn't everyone's favorite and some people think she gets included in too much stuff right and like I get that but also, she's my favorite, so I'm like, yeah,
0: more. <laughs> here's the thing, Please. Caitlin. I don't want, like, baby Ben to show up in this. Like, I don't really want that. And Kylo Ren is, like, my favorite character. Yeah, but that's and different because,
1: like, the timeline, right? Yeah. Thinking yeah. about Resistance, we were like, yes, bring yes, him. come
0: here. Yeah, bring, exactly. Bring him to us. <laughs> yeah. You know?
1: But I think, you know, in, in your conversation – to pose the question of, okay, if it, I think, the thing is, I don't think Ahsoka doesn't make sense here, right? I think, like you were saying, with bo that's her frame of reference. It makes sense for bo to reference Ahsoka, so that makes sense. But if it wasn't bo if it was just another Mandalorian that he had come across who presented this new way of life, or maybe if he didn't even have that at all, that he just came across a Force user... In in route to looking for other Jedi and Force users, right? Um, would
0: do you think we still would have gotten the same? Would you have been okay with that? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would have known any different. Yeah, but I'm saying to, on the flip side of this, I'm happy with what we got because it adds another layer to another pinpoint, even on the timeline of where Ahsoka is and what she's doing and and how her past crossed with this random bounty hunter and his like weird Yoda baby. You yeah. know, I think that's that's fun. And yeah. those are the kind of things that I actually think make a really fun space opera because there's <laughs> just so much going on. We have so many characters and I I don't know. Like here's the question. What if it was Luke Skywalker?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And we talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> what would it be like if she if we knew that she was in conjun- in conversation with luke skywalker what if it was luke she ran into then we definitely would have seen force ghost yoda because we know that he's talking (laughs) to luke (laughs) yeah (laughs) and probably is at this time too i think it's it's really complicated because i think the the argument is also worthwhile of you know din doesn't know anything about the jedi may the force be with you he doesn't know anything about that even though this happened you know 25 years ago not that long ago but suddenly he's connected to like very big players in that story. And the probability <laughs> yeah. of all of that is uh, you can only write that kind of probability
0: <laughs> yeah. because could tell you
1: <laughs> yeah because in in the actual galaxy far, far away, you know, the likelihood of Din running into Ahsoka Tano and not, but also not knowing anything about the Force is probably very slim, you know? <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I think the conversation is really interesting. And it it we referenced this a couple times, more than we should, but that of Dave talking about Ahsoka dying at the end of Revenge of the Sith or at the end of the Clone Wars. And he said, you know, everyone thinks she has to die. And it's like, okay, but does she? <laughs> Does she have to die? <laughs> and I think that's kind of applicable here too. Of it doesn't have to be Ahsoka, it doesn't have to be Ahsoka, but it could be. And why couldn't it be? Um, people are moving through time and hyperspace all the time, and it ups the drama for fans if it is her. But there's a lot of risk with that too, which I think we've seen the I don't want to say consequence, but the um, the results of that with of of including her too, right? Mm-hmm. And and. Even right, we're saying that this this episode, these big cameos have to serve as Din and Grogu, but we've spent the majority of this episode talking about Ahsoka. So,
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's because we've spent the other episodes talking about Din and Grogu. Yeah, but this is still their story, and like I agree
1: with you, right? I'm just I'm just kind of just playing devil's advocate a little
0: bit, yeah, but.
1: The facts, and but even when we were talking about Ahsoka coming into this, she still took up a ton of our episode time last season. And yeah, it's because it's personal. It's because we have a strong attachment to her. And but that's worth talking about, right? Of you know, (laughs) it's funny because right there's that quote from Dave about not letting his animated characters be a footnote in the larger story. And Ahsoka is definitely not a footnote anymore. And now she's been brought into live action for better or for worse, and for better or for worse, with a lot of real world implications attached to that, too. Right. But mm-hmm. she's certainly not a footnote, and is, and she's kind of like in our conversation, she's overshadowing Din and Grogu, who this is their story. <laughs> but this was also the risk that they ran with in Rebels of her not overshadowing uh, Ezra and Kanan and the rest of the ghost crew, too. And, you know, what's the highest rated episode of Rebels? It's, Twilight of the
0: Apprentice. And like, you know what? That's just how it is. <laughs> I, I That's kind of how I feel about this, is that it's like, yeah, Ahsoka's that compelling of a character. And when she intersects with all these other stories, it's really interesting. Yeah. And another thing that I wanted to bring up is that sort of going along the lines of the attachment conversation is that Ahsoka provides an interesting um, foil is probably not the right word, but I'm going to use it, foil to this idea that if Grogu went down this Jedi path, he could experience the the pain that Ahsoka has experienced just based off of her own use of the force and having this character here. And yeah, for the average user, it might mean nothing. Okay. And I, and I, but for people who have followed this story for a long time, it really brings up questions about whether or not it's the right path. And I think that's an important question to ask especially as we continue to write stories about force users and glorification of the Jedi and everything. It's, it's important to continue to question about like, is this group that does in a weird way have like cult-like vibes, especially in the prequel trilogy, is this the right pathway for the child? Because we have hours and hours of uh, content that proves that it's probably not the right <laughs> pathway for him and I think that's really great I think that's a really interesting thing to bring into the conversation for the Mandalorian I don't know
1: yeah I I agree yeah I think this is what we were talking about at the beginning of the show of there's a lot of layers on this episode and the response to it as far as like character choice in this regard is really interesting because I'm I'm with you right like I'm glad it's Ahsoka <laughs> and uh, it's I like hearing her dialogue here. I like hearing what she has to say. She is such a compelling character. And but again, I, I feel like I've had a bit of a lesson, a, a growing moment, if you will, of reframing how I take in these critiques because my first response is to be defensive and be like, well, of course it makes sense for Ahsoka to be here. Yeah. Of, of course it does. And it's the most interesting. <laughs> and well, and I think that's still true to a certain extent. It's like, well, it, it doesn't have to be her also. Mm-hmm. And I can recognize the value of if it wasn't her too. Like there's a whole other side of value if it wasn't her character that was in this episode or Bo-Katan herself too. Like if we take out both of these pieces, um, we still could have gotten into the same point, you know? And we could have opened up new avenues to go down. And there is a lot of value in that. And I I don't want The Mandalorian to be cameo of the week. Me neither. Me neither. I really don't. And, you know, after seeing this before, I was like, they're not going to bring Ahsoka into live action and then use her once. And I think they brought Ahsoka into live action. I think they're going to use her once now. (laughs) and Because this episode episode was Ahsoka's episode, right? We're talking so much about her and what she's doing, the things she said. And even though what she was saying was in direct service to Dinan and Grogu, um, she was the star of the show. It opens with her. It closes with her. We follow her for the most part throughout. Um, It was like the majority of the episode was her.
0: And so, yeah, I think there's a lot to go through. (laughs) Let's talk about another connection though, because what's brought up on the internet and it's not confirmed yet, at the time of recording, but Morgan Elsbeth, the, you know, the villain in this episode, first off, when they, when I heard that her name was Morgan, that didn't really sound like a super villainous name to me. It was kind of random for star Wars, but Morgana Merlin. That's true.
1: That's what I thought of.
0: Yeah, that's actually totally true. Anyway. Um, I, I've seen it spoken of online that this is a Clone Wars reference to an episode that we talked about about three episodes ago on this, maybe two episodes ago. I think a Friend it was week. I think it was two weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, a Friend in Need, which is an episode with Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, Death Watch. Uh, Come on, say it. Uh, and Lux. Lux. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Caitlin's favorite character, Lux. So, you know, this episode comes up a lot, and it includes the Death Watch massacring the Mingpo people of Carlock. And I, uh, have, the internet has recently revealed that perhaps Morgan Elsbeth is part of the Mingpo people of Carlock. And when Ahsoka references... Her, she says, during the Clone Wars, her people were massacred. She survived and let her anger fuel an industry, which helped build the Imperial Starfleet. She plundered worlds, destroying them in the process. It's really interesting to me that we have another character whose, like, trauma from the Clone Wars has fueled this anger that has, uh, deeply seeded this, you know, the problem of creating an industry that fuels war, and. I think it's really interesting, but this again goes over most people's heads, you know, and I think that that's totally fair and maybe it shouldn't have been included. And Maybe this connection is too much um, because it really didn't really sit. I don't know. I don't really know if it gained a lot of legs, honestly, about like understanding that she um, was evil because of her trauma. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think and it hasn't been confirmed that Morgan is from Carlack. It's just that her the markings on her face and her hairstyle and clothing seem similar to the Mingpo people from Carlack in the episode of Friend Neen in Need in Wars. So I think that's why people are drawing that connection, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. But wouldn't it be something else if we had another direct connection to Lex Monteri? Just saying. But
0: well, <laughs> it makes sense given John Favreau and this <laughs> this episode that keeps coming back. Like it's really interesting. That, again, I just want to bring it back <laughs> that this is the episode that John Favreau lent his voice to when he played Pre Vizsla and was a member of Death Watch and got indoctrinated really into, quote, deep Star Wars, the Clone <laughs> Wars of it all, understanding all the politics that lay underneath it. And here we have it again being semi sort of not necessarily, but sort of referenced in this episode. About the horrors of the Clone Wars, which is the whole theme of the Clone Wars show. So, really interesting that we have another touch point. It really feels like these episodes, A Friend in Need, oh, what are the other ones called? I'm not sure, but that whole arc feels very important and very relevant to season two world building, if I'm being completely honest.
1: Yeah, and I think this is part of other people's critiques of the show, right? Of it, Yes. We- was going to be super disconnected, and here we have this very specific reference to the clone to the Clone Wars. Like we're talking about it and mm-hmm. referencing the show, especially if it is later confirmed that this that Morgan is from the planet of Karlac. And to be honest, this this line did stand out. It did feel very right. We were talking about about Din getting a history lesson, but this felt very much like please turn to page eighty six, Morgan Elph. <laughs> during the Clone Wars where people were massacring the whole thing. It did feel – And and even if I'm honest, like, the staging of it is kind of awkward because Ahsoka turns to Din and she, like, crosses her arms and then gives this delivery. So I, I do think that that was a little off. I feel like they almost should have just been walking and her saying it as they're walking of, this is Morgan, da 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 da, da rather than this kind of weird half-turn and crossing her arms with it. But – yeah, it does feel very specific, but at the same time, these connections are kind of all throughout Star Wars, and I think the biggest example of this would be like the Last Jedi and Canto Bite. That was, which is hilarious because a ton of people hate the Canto Bite sequences, <laughs> but yeah. that was the whole point of that was to show that worlds are plundered for industries to thrive, for capitalism to thrive in the midst of war. That was the whole point of DJ. Don't join. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, You know, remember when they're on the ship in The Last Jedi and he's showing Finn all the different uh, artillery and ships and he's like, this is a Republic one. This is our um – New Republic, New Republic one, yeah. it is the First Order one, made by the same people, by the same manufacturing company. And all these planets have suffered, have suffered for it. Roses, too. That was the whole point. Um, Lethal was an example of this, of the entire background of Rebels, of the planet being taken over for the Empire to mine and to use that planet. Saw Guerrera is someone in Clone Wars and Rogue One who is radicalized by the Clone Wars. This isn't an isolated thing. It does feel almost out of place in the episode the delivery of it but the content of it is not out of place because i think that this is something that dave has tried to do a lot in his stories of making sure that the bigger picture of these different political systems rising and falling is kind of always kept in mind yeah because i think that was a bit of a critique on the on the second trilogy on the prequels of it's so much politics, and it's like, yeah, but that's kind of the point. And so it's almost like to counterbalance that we have this like super emotional, intense relationship of Anakin and Ahsoka on the backdrop of all of these politics. And I think that that is something that the Clone Wars does really well. And but I think that this is this kind of stuff is in every Star Wars thing, yeah. You know, and I think I think it's important, and I think it's cool to see these different characters wrecking such havoc across the galaxy. It's not just Palpatine (laughs) and Snoke. It's people like Morgan Elsbeth on Corvus destroying an entire planet. It's people like Maul and the crime syndication. We see this on uh, Corellia, how it's a shipyard, how the planet is defined by that entire industry. You know, it's – even in Resistance, seeing – was orca's planet it's a mining uh-huh. planet it's an entire mining planet like this these and it's for i think us. it was flick flick I think it was flick yeah uh, yeah you're right it's like and i don't think that his planet was like in service of the first order but the point is is that these planets they're all a part of this political background of what's going on and some of them have been more impacted by others and just because and just because the empire fell doesn't mean that like, there are all these power vacuums all across the galaxy. And I, I do think it's important to talk about them or at least to see mention of them. So mm-hmm. I think I'm glad we learned a little bit about Morgan Elsbeth. I really like her character, actually. I thought she I was, loved the fight. I really uh, thought it was super cool. I thought it was so cool. And I didn't know this until later yesterday, but she was played by Diana Lee Inosanto who her father, Diana's father, was trained by and training partners with Bruce Lee. How cool is that? Who tweeted about the show, too, yeah. which I thought was <laughs> – I was like, is that Bruce Lee in my Star Wars style? <laughs> <It's> so cool. <laughs> it was really cool. But I loved the the last fight in the inner city. I thought it was so cool. It really gave me the Obi-Wan and Maul vibes from Twin Suns.
0: And the samurai of it all, but also the Western – of it all, it's like the samurai yeah. fight, and then also the split screen of the western fight happening with Din and Lang—I guess his name is—with the the reaching of the gun and the sleight of hand and the silences, the moving forward, the steps, everything. It was like so perfect in the empty town. I was like, this is Star Wars at its core, which is a balance between samurai movies and westerns and like weird space fantasy, which is like exactly what was happening, and. I think that we can. We should also talk about like the yes, the Thrawn reference was like really heavy-handed and strange, kind of cringe. And <laughs> and I'm just like not sure if we're ever gonna get anything more from that reference or if it's it's just really weird. Honestly, I did not really like it.
1: I think it's. I didn't like. Right. We said we didn't like Ren Admiral. We could have just said Thrawn. But I think it's the one bone that they're going to throw us of this is what Ahsoka is doing. <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of glad that we at least got a little nugget of what she's doing and it wasn't the theme of the episode because we've already talked about how it that shouldn't have been the theme of the episode. But we at least know specifically what she's after and we can chew on that for a while. <laughs>
0: For me, the whole Thrawn reference really did kind of hammer home the whole cameo of the week thing, and it felt a little cheap because I don't really see them going down the Thrawn path. If they do, that's cool. I really like Thrawn as a villain, especially in Rebels. I haven't really read the the books, but I hear they're great, and I feel like there's a lot there to discover. It would be cool to see that in live action. It might be kind of weird, but I just think it's unlikely that that's going to come, come into play unless Gideon is working with Thrawn, which is an interesting prospect and therefore maybe we would see ahsoka again if ahsoka is on this path to find thrawn and then if thrawn is working with gideon and gideon is after din and therefore the empire like in mass is these are the people that are left from these positions of power if you talk about power vacuum like what's next for these people right and i think that it's That to me felt like the cheapest shot (laughs) that I was not a huge fan of, but it's okay. That's, that's just me. And I can not, it doesn't, didn't really take away so much from the episode for me. Um, But it did feel sort of like a little bit of a throwaway line. And I think that, uh, you know, I watched Star Wars Explains video, his reaction. um, And Alex kind of talked about how his reaction to that line was similar to hearing Palpatine's laugh in the Rise of Skywalker trailer. And he said that he was like, "Oh my god, wow, that's so crazy." And then, kind of the dread kind of set set in. And he was like, well, "I don't know how that really fits, but okay." Kind of the same vibes here, except I, I was really thrilled about the Palpatine laugh at the end of the Rise of Skywalker. But we I do were agree wrong. with his, yeah, we were, we were <laughs> wrong. But I, we were like, "Oh my god, this is interesting." And I think that with um, with this, it's like, "Yeah, oh my god, this is interesting." Wait, that's kind of weird, but okay, you know. <laughs> And I don't know if that's going to... I would love to be wrong, really, is what I'm saying. Because like I said, I really do like Thrawn in Rebels and he is such a really cool villain. Especially if we, if he is working with Gideon, which honestly, now that we're going down this path, makes a little bit of sense just because Gideon is a collector. And you know who else is a collector? Thrawn. And he is someone who plunders art and calls it art for his museum you know do we and know that gideon is a collector though or he just has the dark saber we don't know this this is true but i think that i think this is it i mean i don't know feels <laughs> like i've cracked <laughs> it this is it <laughs> i mean i haven't i haven't cracked it but i i personally don't think gideon is a mandalorian who has the dark saber i just think he thinks it's awesome and he um had like feels like it's a a, a source of power for him to rule Mandalore.
1: Well, I think but, it's I think it's a trophy for him. I I think that perhaps he won it from took it from Bocatan, yeah. and now it's it's like he's taunting her. It's like it's like Grievous keeping all the lightsabers of the Jedi he killed,
0: right? But hmm. all, who knows? You know, I'm I'm not married to any of these ideas, but I do think that there's perhaps some things in common between Thrawn and Gideon if they wanted to explore that.
1: Yeah, I. it's interesting because even though I didn't appreciate the line delivery, I thought that it was meant to just be a nugget for us of what Ahsoka was doing right now. I don't expect to see Thrawn in The Mandalorian. I don't want to. And mm-hmm. I don't think I need – I don't really want Gideon to talk about Thrawn either, you know? I think yeah. Gideon is so menacing on his own. I – you know, where is Gideon? I <laughs> The start of the season, I was ready to be the number one Gideon stand and count, and we've gotten just so few crumbs of him this season, and I, I'm ready, right? We've got three more episodes left. Gideon, where is
0: he? he he's coming, and the, the last two episodes, I do feel like we're following a similar path to the tone and style of season one. With, I really do think that the last two episodes are going to be interconnected, like one story, and it'll feel like a grand finale in a way that it did in season one. You know, yeah. and Gideon will be involved in that.
1: I mean, I know he will be. I just thought he'd be more in this season, and I'm bummed. me too. <laughs> me too. Because <laughs> I think I think he's so cool. I yeah. I I don't want Thrawn to overshadow, but this is this is the whole thing again, too, right, Charlotte? Like people are like, I don't. Like, Ahsoka's not my favorite character, so I don't want her in it. And I'm like, bring me Ahsoka. And then people, Thrawn is their favorite character. So they're like, well, why do you get your favorite character to be a cameo and I don't get my favorite character to be a
0: cameo? But that's okay to feel that way. I I know it is.
1: It it is. But that's the complication of it. It really is. I'm like, well, we don't need Thrawn, right? Like, it doesn't, we don't need him to be in this. And then other people are like, okay, yeah, we don't need Ahsoka to be in this either. (laughs) And yes, you're correct.
0: (laughs) These things are true. Um and that's where we are. <laughs> if we saw Thrawn for like a brief second working with like on the bridge of some Imperial starship, you know, I think that would be cool. I'd be into that. But that's also just me. I don't know. <laughs> this don't whole know thing either. is like from my point of view, I think that would be neat. But <laughs> I don't know if they will do it. And I say this like I have to remain impartial on my own podcast. Like I can see what I want to happen in this story, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's true for you as well. And, and not everyone's going to agree with me and not everyone has. But I think that it's – I stand by Thrawn being an interesting character, but I don't necessarily need him in this. But if there is a larger story about, like, the remnants of the Empire, I guess it makes sense that he would be included in that. And yeah. I think that maybe this Thrawn throwaway mention – maybe it's not a throwaway mention. I don't know. Like, maybe we as fans are kind of latching onto it like people latch onto Broom Boy. Oh,
2: no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I,
0: I <laughs> you know, or, you know, people are like, where's the Broom Boy sequel? And it's like, no, that's a metaphor. It's just, it's an epilogue. Okay, like, but you, Broom Boy relax. is a little different, it's different than Thrawn and Ezra and Ahsoka and Sabine. Exactly. I know that. But I'm just saying, maybe we're looking a little too deep into it. Me specifically, I'm talking about. I think to myself. that's
1: the <laughs> first time we've ever said that on Sky Talkers. <laughs> yeah. I think we're giving yeah. it a little bit too much attention here. Yeah. I think that just a, it's.
0: It's a good place to pause and talk about how a lot of people's expectations of this show, and you talked about this a little bit in the beginning, have kind of changed in terms of like the way that the show has progressed. And I'm all, I'm very baffled by this expectation, this thought. And again, this is just my point of view. Just as someone who is super familiar with the Star Wars animated projects and the rest of Star Wars television, and yes, this is the first live action, so I think that they w- We're going to be breaking new ground and they are breaking new ground don't get me wrong but in terms of the tone and the setup of the seasons i think caitlin and i are pretty used to each season of animated shows feeling like very separate from what came before and how they always advance always go a little deeper always like think about rebels okay season one is so different than season two and season one is so different from season four And I just think this is the natural progression of a Star Wars television show where we start off really sort of simple of like building the – I'm using Rebels as an example – of building the family. And then we introduce all these other characters, other other major conflicts, um, galaxy-changing implications. And then we have an epilogue that kind of reflects the first season where it's more local and more – focused on the main characters that were introduced in season one and i think that with the clone wars as well i mean hello the tonal shifts from each season and the animation shifts i just feel like caitlin and i are quite used to this and i'm sure a lot of fans are too about like season one so different than season three and season five so different from season two especially with the clone wars you know and now we have season seven which is so different than season one and even different from season six You know, (laughs) it's it's just kind of weird because I actually just think this is how Star Wars shows work and they all work together. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're super disjointed, but I do think that each season goes a little deeper into the lore of Star Wars. And I know people kind of recoil at the word lore, but it does get a little deeper. It does get a little bit more connected. And this is kind of what I expected to happen. And the test, I think, is for the fact that this audience of the show of The Mandalorian is way wider than the, an animated show like Clone Wars or Rebels or Resistance. And now they have people who they are going to potentially lose by going deeper. And I, I personally think that that's part of a, an, a show like growing and changing. And I think that like hopefully Disney like expects some drop-off when things get a little too complicated, maybe too connected. But I can see how it can be like a harsh hurdle. And sometimes I wonder if maybe this season would have been better served if it was all dropped at once. Uh, because then perhaps we could see the like dips and the like what some people would consider filler and how that filler actually feeds into the end and the way that fandoms patience is really short. And I wonder if things would be better in terms of like just in general discourse or if it would just fade too quickly out of the collective subconscious of popularity. I'm not sure because right right now I like the weekly drop, but sometimes I, I wonder if, dropping it all at once would be a little bit better.
1: Yeah, it's almost like apples to oranges, I think, as far it is. as a weekly drop versus all at once. And once they started weekly, it would be weird to go back. I think you're right that this, right, we've talked about this a couple times, of being surprised by the pacing of these episodes and how closely it kind of follows what we've seen in animated shows, but also... Like, because of that, it makes sense to us. But I do think that this series follows a very different pacing than most live action shows. Yeah, And so I think that there is that disconnect there for a lot of people that have never watched the animated shows, that don't enjoy the animated shows. And it it is unexpected, the structure of this show, in a lot of ways. And this was something I commented on a lot last season, and it was finally like, okay this is what it is though it was like Mm -hmm. okay and then this season i feel like i've expected it a lot more and kind of been more at home with it uh this season particularly but it is very different of a structure than i don't know what other live action show out there right now is like this no it was interesting because i was talking to my brother-in-law about this and he he watches it mostly week to week and he is like a very casual Star Wars fan. He's watched he's watched like some of the Clone Wars, uh, like the Siege of Mandalore and stuff like that and some stuff from the earlier seasons too, but not all of it. And he he's that person who's gonna watch what he needs to watch to know what's going on, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the bigger pieces. And he was talking to me about how he really liked how slow the Mandalorian was. He was like it doesn't rush itself and it doesn't feel like it needs to. And that's, that's very different from a lot of TV shows that are on right now. And again, it's that thing of there is value in that kind of TV show, but it can also feel very out of place and sometimes feel too slow too. And, and that's the risk with anything, right? Of if you lean too heavily in one direction, you can lean too heavily in one direction mm-hmm. and it might not be as balanced as it could be and i think that that is something that a lot of people are realizing with the mandalorian of is this is this the kind of structure and pacing that i like i saw a comment on twitter about how there's not a b plot in the mandalorian and how like an overarching b plot and how like it can almost feel like too much focus on like, why isn't there a B-plot, right? Like, that kind of jumps around our focus and the action and the pacing and stuff like that. And there is this mission of the week sense to the Mandalorian, but it's not a B-plot. I, I don't think I would call it a B-plot. It's the mission of the week. And I think those function differently within the story. The story is about Din and Grogu. And right now it's about finding out about Grogu. Like, that's the big mission. And the little pieces of that are Din finding out about himself, the relationship between the two of them growing and what they're actually going to do when Grogu makes his choice. And through that, they have these bins of the week. And I don't know, I think I think The Mandalorian is such a surprising show for so many of those reasons, and that it does take its time and is super slow in a lot of respects, that there isn't this... Like, it's just Din and Grogu. Like, there are only constants. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of crazy when you think about it. And we've talked so much about like westerns and things like Lone Wolf and Cub and Kurosawa and these influences. And this show really lifts directly from them. And this, again, is the the critique on the show. I feel like I've said that a hundred times this episode, and I apologize for that. But the, these are the two sides of it, right? Of Is this innovative storytelling to be pulling directly from Kurosawa and, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, High Noon, and stuff like that? Is that innovative storytelling? Does it always need to be? Is this unexpected? Not really, because the, in, the showrunners have been saying this from the very beginning of western simple clean western <laughs> and it's like oh wait we got a simple clean western <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do but i think it's a good conversation to have because yeah it's in a way, it's not surprising and also surprising that this is actually what we got. But you think back to the Clone Wars and the episodes with like the Zillow Beast and Ahsoka Leaves, and a lot of people were not huge fans of those episodes because of how much they took from Godzilla and Hitchcock. And there have been other examples of that in, in like the animated shows. And some people thought it was too heavy handed. And then we have a show like this, and, and I'm thinking coincidentally of Dave's episode The Gunslinger, which we know from the Art of book. For the Mandalorian, which you should 100% get, is a direct reference to the show The Western, The Westerner, right? Yeah, is that what it's called? And I yeah. guess it, it, it's all just a part of this conversation of is like what's the value here of having something so directly tied, and even this episode so directly tied to Kurosawa. And I thought it was funny because some people were like, "It's like Bossing Say from." Avatar The Last Airbender, which it is, but also that's like the architecture that ancient cities have done for thousands of years. Like Ba Sing Se was (laughs) taken off of those cities.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And like, that's the point of Avatar too, is to combine all these different cultures and to kind of reference that in a new story. And to me, I think that I've had my own criticisms about things being too heavy handed. And I think that maybe this episode could be in line with that. I, I didn't personally feel that way, but I understand those criticisms because I've experienced them myself. But I feel like what Star Wars does by picking up on like John Ford Westerns and Kurosawa and really drawing from things that inspired Star Wars originally, things that inspired George Lucas, they're bringing, they're like revitalizing genre tropes that haven't really been explored that much in modern uh, cinema or television shows, and reminding audiences when looked through the lens of familiar Star Wars, that these stories and the way of filming has value and was commercial at one point, even though it's not, you know, the number one thing at your movie theater these days. It gives credence, therefore, to the fact that these moments in cinema are important in order to understand, like, the, the archetypes of the characters and the drama that is being told because the small scale story is exactly what a, like, that's what samurai and Western stories um are doing anyway. So if they're going to tell that story, they have to work within these archetypes because as you, hu- <laughs> this is so deep and I'm sorry, but like as human beings, like we're always referencing things, even if we're in our subconscious. So like directly referencing it, it really does like, reach back into all of what we know about certain tropes and everything, even if we're not actively thinking about it that much and helps us recognize what is happening in the story, especially when we have a character whose entire, like our two main characters are mass and a weird tiny alien baby. So like in order for us to have any sort of reference about like what's happening is that, yes, we get it from the performances of the actors, but we also get it from the world building. And we also get it from the tropes that are being picked up from these films that they're referencing and things that live in, even if we haven't even seen the movies, we understand that, Oh, this is samurai ask. Oh, this looks like, you know, a Japanese city. (laughs) So it's, it's really interesting to me um, how star Wars explores them. And I'm sure that I'm even rambling here when I talk about this, because it's like pretty obvious about why it's interesting to reference things. But I think that even just, giving new life to genres that are perhaps like still not really being explored that much is what Star Wars does really, really well and has done really super well since 1977. I think the conversation of genre is really important with Star Wars and always
1: has been. And I think it's interesting because personally, this kind of story that we saw in this episode with more of the samurai influences... I tend to respond to a lot more positively overall than the straight Western, which is interesting because we have Dave who's done both with the gunslinger and with the Jedi. And you guys know that's the gunslinger is not my favorite. And that's a direct <laughs> pull from a Western. And then here we have the Kurosawa samurai vibe. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> and I just... I, I think it's cool that this show is kind of deviating from those, what we would expect to see from a live action. Like it's not Game of Thrones. And I think a lot of us thought it would be. And it's routinely told us from the storytellers themselves that it wasn't going to be that. But mm-hmm. we all thought it would be and should be. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's kind of like reminding myself every week of – it's okay to take things slower. It's okay that there's not something like a B plot and and like look, you're still having a really good time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's okay that the show doesn't follow conventional storytelling rules because
1: I I, would, I think I would say that it's sorry to interrupt, but I would say it's okay that it's not even necessarily doing an innovative story. Yeah. And
0: that feels yes. weird to say, but I agree. Because I think that, and it does feel weird to say, because I think that all stories should be innovative. And I'm not saying, I think the composite of The Mandalorian is innovative in itself because of the technology that's happening. The fact that millions of people are tuned in to see a a masked character and an alien in their relationship, like, that's (laughs) innovation. They're using the technology of the volume. They're pushing, you know, the fact that you can make this high quality of television week to week is groundbreaking for the industry, all these things, right? But I'm totally with you. Yeah, yeah. And, right, like,
1: this is the hypocrisy of all of it because I'm like, it's okay if The Mandalorian isn't necessarily innovative storytelling. But then a movie like Tross, I'm like, that story was not innovative at all, and that was a huge problem for me. And they're both completely different situations and stories, but they're also not. And I just, like I said, I... I keep running in circles in my head about all these things and my responses to these different Star Wars stories. And that's part of the fun and part of the headache (laughs) too.
0: I feel like we had been talking about Corvus meaning like omen, bad omen, the fact that Corvus is like a raven slash a crow. Like <laughs> it was gonna be witchy. It was gonna be weird. Something eerie, something unsettling. And I would say that's exactly what we got in chapter 13. This planet outside of the city walls is like this eerie, ashen uh forest that the the trees don't even have leaves. Like it's weird. And the the visuals that we get of like Ahsoka and the child against this huge moon. It's like so witchy and so cool. I loved it. And I think that what was, what to me was coming across is that Ahsoka was like in this weird way. It felt like Ahsoka was this witch in the forest who was plaguing the town. And there was like this undertone of magic to me here that like Ahsoka, the, you know, people, there was rumors about this episode being called the Sorcerer and not the Jedi. And in a lot of ways, I think that would have been cool. But I could see how that archetype and that that idea was displayed through the visualization of this episode and a lot of the the smoke and the cloak and the way that Ahsoka um, kind of existed within this space. And the whole thing kind of just really reminded me of different drawings that we've seen Dave Filoni have over the past couple years of... Ahsoka embodying the Princess Mononoke from Hayao Miyazaki, uh, like Studio Ghibli. For a long time, Dave has referenced Princess Mononoke when discussing Ahsoka. We even see basically the same wolves that uh, the princess has in that movie. In Rebels, like the Loaf Wolves are almost directly lifted from Miyazaki's uh, Princess Mononoke. It's a huge influence for Dave, and when thinking about Ahsoka, and before when I was referencing, like we have no idea what it, where Ahsoka is in her headspace or anything. I think an interesting point of view is thinking about that movie, Princess Mononoke, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. It's probably, I don't know, I actually think it's the best um, Studio Ghibli movie. And I think that what was happening in this episode is like this idea that. When you meet Ahsoka and Din and when they meet, you actually have like no idea whether they're going to get along. Like literally Din is sent to kill Ahsoka and you know that his motivations are to talk to Ahsoka and everything. But when that proposition was given, there's a sense of tension that happens about like, are they going to what's going to happen here? You know, you have no idea. The same thing is present with the two protagonists of that movie, Princess Mononoke. I think that even just thinking about the visualization, the creatures that kind of loom in the distance are very Miyazaki. That even the like the idea, which I think is the underbelly of this episode, the environmental toll that sort of that industry that you see you see the 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 smokestacks almost of of shipbuilding industry in the distance when you notice the town um, when they do like long wide shots of the town, and it's clear like when you watch it again that Morgan and her like she's part of like shipbuilding and the industry and like perhaps that is taking an environmental toll on the planet as a whole. And of course, this isn't addressed, but it's highly addressed in Princess Mononoke. And I think it's a really cool thing to compare and to think about because there's always these sort of um, intentions that happen in these episodes that there's a lot in in what goes into like the concept art and the concepting of the, the episode. And I, I, would bet money on that being a reference. And I just think that it, it it's also like when Dave has talked about like where Ahsoka is um, even like nebulous of like a series, whenever he draws her, it's this all, it's always this like really ominous, like, I honestly think sorcerer is a good word here. This, this uh, alone and like wandering through the forest, the environment and like, she always has, you know, nature by her side. And here we have, we even saw Morai in this episode. I think it's hotly debated online, but it's, there was an owl and I honestly think it's Morai. Why else would it be there? We see a loath cat here. Like it just feels very Dave, was- <laughs> you know? The loath cat was so fun. <laughs> I know. It was great. Um, and I think that like just this idea of these like very uh, Miyazaki-esque creatures Like, it all comes back around, and I could really see Dave Filoni's own preferences in this episode, and I personally liked it a lot.
1: Yeah, I think that the visuals of this episode, I think this has been something that has received the most, I think people have been the most on the same page about, across the board, (laughs) about Mm -hmm. this episode, is that the visuals of it were really spectacular. I think... I think I expected us to come to Corvus and see green or something. We've talked a lot about color theory with the color blue in this
0: episode or well, in this yeah, when, series. When, I don't mean to interrupt you, but i I want to say that when Bokaton says go to the forest planet of Corvus, like we expect, like a leafy green, and that's why I wanted to bring up the environmental toll that perhaps like Morgan and her shipbuilding whatever is taking on the planet that perhaps that's the backstory here that like we, we wonder why does this planet look so creepy and so charred and so burned like what's even happening here you know it could be that
1: yeah i think that the episode wants you to draw the conclusion that it is the result of morgan being there is that this forest is completely destroyed and the people are in terror and stuff like that. I I do think that I remember uh, watching it and the prisoners that were in the electrocution chambers. I remember watching it and thinking, Oh, Dave said, let's go a smidge darker than the gunslinger. Just a little bit. <laughs> and we got, we got that electrocution uh, look that we saw in Bo-Katan's episode with the Oh, I know who it is. I forgot his name, though. The guy who was running the ship that bo was ambushing when he took the electrocution cyanide pill and it electrocuted him. It's Return of the Jedi, yeah. you know. Anyway, we saw that with them. And these the the whole setup of it did feel very Clone Wars of these prisoners trapped and they're being held hostage. And Ahsoka didn't have to figure out what to do next and ahsoka makes it a point to say we have to rescue the prisoners and that kind of stuff but yeah i I think the visuals were they were spooky this was a blue gray episode i think it was i think this is probably the darkest episode we've had color wise yeah um i think that bryce dallas howard's episode with bo katan is close but it was Red more blue with gray undertones, whereas this was more gray with blue undertones, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if I can be kind of stupid specific about it. (laughs) But then we did have – this This was the other thing. I really like the layout of this episode and even talking about the architecture of the city. I think that the Mandalorian has done a really good job at – really conceptualizing spaces in these different places i like how that rhymes um i feel like we always have a very good idea of where these people are in relation to whatever complex ship town that they're in which i'm kind of surprised about because for as much as they've kind of been traveling around you wouldn't expect it to be that realized i think with these different towns but the fact that we have a good idea of the layout of Corvus, or uh, what's the city? Caledon. Caledon, I think, is what it's called. The city. We have a good idea of the layout of Navarro, of the Imperial base on Navarro as well. Even from last season, we have a good layout of Tatooine back then, of the city, that we, of the outpost city in Tatooine that we saw this season. All of these places are very realized, and in the art of the Mandalorian book, you see a lot of like blueprints of these cities and how they're laid out. And it's very specific to the purposes of the story, right? You think about um, the episode with Boba Fett's armor and Timothy, and you think about how it's that straight line, like that shanty town, and it's just like a straight line of – these mobile buildings and that is to facilitate the use of the dragon coming underneath the city to really see it ripple down the main street of the city and for that visual of it and also for the visual of a main street and that episode very much pulls on the western tropes of we got to save the children from the school and all the townspeople are going to come together and it's the actual sheriff. (laughs) And so to have it be like a main street layout of a shanty town in the middle of the desert, the architecture, the layout of that town makes a lot of sense. Then when we think about the layout of this town on Corvus, very samurai, we've got very like this kind of inner city, walled city of going further in is very much pulled from specifically ancient Asian architecture, which I think anyone who's familiar with like samurai stories, that seems very obvious. But the walled city going deeper in, the most sacred place is at like near the back and at the center, if that makes sense. And there is a difference. And we see that very laid out here too. And it makes a lot of sense. Because what I think is cool about this episode when thinking about the placemaking of it, is that Ahsoka, right in the beginning, she starts out at the outside of the city walls, and we know that Morgan knows what information she wants, and it ends with her in the inner courtyard getting the information that she wants, whereas the opposite is true for Din. Din starts inside the city looking for the information that he needs, and the place he gets it is far outside the city with Ahsoka. I think kind of the how that's like the opposite I think is really interesting because Ahsoka is in this built-up place that is made to look tranquil when it's not and she's in the middle of this battle this fight, I don't want to call it a battle this fight with Morgan and whereas Din he ends up outside in a very tranquil space learning about a really serious trauma from Grogu Grogu (laughs) (laughs) I, I think I really love the architecture of this city and of the Mandalorian in general. I think they've done such a spectacular job with it. And a big piece of that is because of the volume and what they're yeah. able to do faster and for less money as well. And I think and, and even too like the Imperial base on Navarro, that's like that long line across it's like a very long, narrow rectangular building built into the cliffside. It makes perfect sense for that space and for that story that they were telling of infiltrating through it to get to the hangar. Anyway, I think it's all really good. And I think that this episode has really knocked it out of the park. Um, I think the other thing that we want to talk about too is the music. Yes. Ludwig's version of Ahsoka's theme. Can I get an (laughs) amen?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was great. You know, knowing me, you will know and not be surprised by that. I didn't notice it the first time because I was black. I blacked out and like, I, I was shaking the whole time during this episode. Cause I was excited and nervous. So the first time I watched it, I like didn't notice anything with the music. I really mostly noticed the silences in the episode and how, you know, that we have the, the long sound design, like the long silent sound design and like focusing on um, like the clash of the, the saber and everything. But the second and third time I watched it I was like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever this is so great it's so fun to see a Kevin Kiner theme be fed into like the, Man- a, the Mandalorian like how cool is
1: that it's so cool I cried at the end when they were playing it and she walked away I was like yes Kayla reaffirm that you are emotionally attached <laughs> to sure. this music <laughs> <His> character. <laughs> um, I thought it was amazing. And yeah, the the sound design of the the fight between Morgan and Ahsoka with the Beskar and the lightsaber, I just thought was incredible. I thought it's really well done. I love seeing the fight between them two the two of them. And yeah, like you were talking about earlier, the visual of her in the inner gate against Morgan doing this this fight between them versus Lang and Din on the outside just staring each other down of who's going to shoot first. I just it, can't get over it. The the Western juxtaposed. totally mirrored by the samurai. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a really cool visual, I think. And it's, <laughs> it's them saying, this is what we're doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was so over the top, but yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I did too.
1: And then the other sound that – or the other piece of music that I wanted to shout out was, of course, the end when – Ahsoka this also felt very Ahsoka to me for her to stay there with the magistrate the the actual magistrate of the town and uh once it's liberated of Morgan and the other I guess remnant imperials or maybe they just work for Morgan not really clear but I loved that visual and there's that kind of that um it's It's like a – it reminds me of like a a medieval version of the Mandalorian theme. It almost – my first – not my first thought, but what I kind of likened it to was almost something like from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, like that kind of court jestery out in the middle of the town, lighthearted music, Um, and the way that that kind of – it like drifted over the setting until we got to Din in the Razorcrest and Baby Yoda was sleeping. And we just hear this kind of light, almost like lullaby, childish, a little bit magical of the Mandalorian theme in the background. And he says, he's like kind of rocking the cradle and he's like, it's time to say goodbye. Ugh, so <laughs> good. <laughs> so and, good. And the fade out, you know that time has passed with that fade out transition shot. And now Baby Yoda is awake or Grogu is awake. And, you know, he has to say goodbye. But he doesn't. And I think I've seen some people say like, oh, I can't believe did was going to actually give him to Ahsoka. And it's like, yeah, but as soon as she was like, I don't think I can train them. Him Din goes. Okay. <laughs> 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 After the, he, he like tried once it was like, wait, why not? And she was like, because of such and such. She goes, good reason. <laughs> Where do we yeah, go? Sounds, next? Good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> sounds good. Sounds <laughs> good. I think it's a pan flute, by the way. The um, oh, yeah. the medieval instrument. I'm pretty sure it's a pan flute. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, it, that it's was it was just low and soft, and yeah, really evoked a sense of uh, intimacy, honestly, and joy, also.
1: Yeah, I, I really love that transition from Ahsoka and the magistrate to Din and Grogu, on the Razor Crest. It
0: it felt it felt very emotional. And I really liked it. How do you rank this episode in terms of the season and actually The Mandalorian overall?
1: It's interesting because I think I think that Bryce Dallas Howard's episode is still my favorite of the season so far. Because I think I'm bringing in like way more real world thoughts into this episode than I was into Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. And in some ways that benefits Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. I think I think that one is still my favorite of the season. I love the visuals of this episode, though. I think the visuals of this episode outweigh Bryce's. They're kind of even for me, but I, Frog Lady, and I know like that whole thing. It was just so pure, and um, the action in that episode is really great. But so is this one. Like I love the stealthiness of it, and also the other visual part of it too is Ahsoka just kind of appearing where she needs to be inside the city i thought that was so great and very like you were talking about earlier like very spooky very it's like you turn around and wow she's there yeah, i love it, was it. So i love
0: cool. that what about you I, i'm gonna be controversial and say i like this episode the most out, out of the entire season and probably i don't know it's really up there yeah i really i had a really good time with it i was so happy and it's, it's, it's tough. And I f- I like feel guilty saying that because I know that wasn't a universal experience. Yeah. And I'm, but I, I, like you said, I really enjoyed the, the visuals and everything that was brought about in this episode. And I feel like there's just a lot to analyze that we didn't even cover. And that is what excites me the most about Star Wars in general, when there's like so much to dig through. And I, I really loved it. I really did love Bryce Dallas Howard's episode two. And the truth is, is that I probably will like the finale of the season. It's just kind of how it goes. I really like the finale of season one, too. And I'd say that this episode ranks in like top three for me of the entire series as a whole.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, it's interesting. It's I didn't expect that. I really didn't. Yeah. But I, I feel like this is one that I'm going to draw on again and again and again. And it's it's just – it's good. I, 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 I'm i a sucker for the Force stuff, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's surprising.
1: I know. Surprising absolutely no one. <laughs> yeah, I think because this ep- – the thing is, I think because this episode and Bo-Katan's episode – they've given us the most information about both Din and Grogu. And I think that that is what is going to propel these next big character changes for Din, right? It's what is it to be a Mandalorian? And for Grogu, it's what am I going to choose? And it came from both of these episodes. And I think
0: both episodes were really well done. So they're both really good. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I I would say that probably the, most well done episode though so far is still the first episode in this season because the work that ILM did on the episode is like perfection. It shouldn't even be on TV. It's that good. It's cinema it's like cinema. It's amazing. And I thought that was really like John Favreau kinda killed that direction. Like it was amazing. But I I still it that one I will probably rewatch less. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like personal emotions. Yeah, the intrigue is just off the charts with the, with
1: like Bryce's and Dave's in this season.
0: Yeah. And also, okay, my last question is do you think season two is better than season one?
1: Yeah, I do. I think technically it's a better season. But it's I weird agree. because this season is much more marred by people like Gina and yeah. Rosario. And that has overshadowed overshad- a lot of this season, I think, for so many of us. Yeah. So yep, I th- it has. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's very interesting and unfortunate too.
0: Yeah. I would say that I think that this season is uh, getting at the relationship between the child and the Mandalorian way more than season one did. And I really appreciate that. And I know that's like the main plot point, but let's be honest, season one had a couple of episodes that, that really wasn't even a focus. And I, I remember you. Complaining about that and being like, how am I supposed to buy this attachment of, like, father-son when I'm not really even getting that? And I think that this season has balanced the cuteness, the, like, almost oversaturation of Baby Yoda in everyday life with the fact that his story is moving forward. And I think that's really great, actually. And I think that was a major worry for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think this season has really... Uh, propelled forward Din and Grogu's relationship in five episodes way more than last season did. Yeah. And I think that it needed to do that because for me that was really lacking. And I think totally. that this episode or this season has done it way better. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, how can we forget Baby Yoda doing Wires? That was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a little, just electrocuted. How do you even get back there? Did Din was like
0: pushing him through? He was like, you know what? This sounds like a good idea. Let's try just that? try it. And we then when he goes, it's worth a try. I'm like, what was the like the thought point <laughs> that was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just shove my tiny son in there and we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I'm kind of surprised we haven't gotten. A shot of this is a a weird sentence, and I recognize this. Okay, you know when Empire Strikes Back when Yoda is like rifling through Luke's stuff and is like, oh, "What's this?" <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's really funny. And you see like the Yoda bum, like the, and it's really like really funny. I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten that from the child at all, like that kind of shot. But maybe that's a technical puppet thing. And I think the puppet is looking looked really good in this episode, by the way. Yeah, because. There were some points in the past, like the second episode in this season, that I was like, I had voiced on the show that I actually prefer the CGI one or I like the CGI Baby Yoda. And I thought there was a really good balance, specifically in this episode of The Jedi, between the puppet and the CGI. It was good.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that what's great is that I feel like we're unlocking a whole new set of expressions for Baby Yoda for Grogu now that he has the name. The fact that we're like, his expression to Din when he heard Din saying his name was incredible. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> brought me to tears. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was so cute and so heartwarming too. And I think it's, it's going to be way different. The communication between them is going to be way different because now Din knows his name and knows that he understands what he's saying too because i think he was kind of 50 50 before yeah exactly (laughs) okay well is there anything we've
0: forgotten i mean
1: yes
0: (laughs) but no there's so much and i think this episode will come up again yeah i I have no idea what the next few episodes are going to be at all it's weird because i think that we were all anticipating the ahsoka episode and what was going to happen with that but i actually because we don't have the trailer because we have no point of reference really for what the next three episodes are. And I can't even believe there's only three left. I'm really sad about it.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, the last thing I wanted to bring up, just as an aside, is the use of May the Force Be With You in this episode. And I really loved how Din didn't say anything back because we've seen these colloquialisms colloquialisms with This Is The Way and May the Force Be With You being the most well-known in The Mandalorian. And we saw the different ways that Bo Katan used This Is the Way to Din in her episode from mocking to uh community to understanding at the end of it. And we saw Din very detached from saying, and also with you, back to the New Republic when they said, May the forest be with you. And I remember being complaining, <laughs> what does Din know? <laughs> he knows <laughs> he knows nothing. <laughs> Yeah, And here he is saying it like a password. And now he understands a little bit more. He knows what may the Force be with you means to someone like Ahsoka, and more importantly, what it could mean to Grogu, knowing more of his history and his actual upbringing. And the fact that he didn't say it back, say anything back to Ahsoka, in a way felt very respectful and... I don't know. It was just something to note, and I appreciated how – I was glad she said it, and I thought it was really meaningful, all things considered, that he didn't say anything back. I agree. Yeah. So that was kind of my last aside. Um, that's it, I think, for this episode. Yeah. I feel like Both. we've – some monster of an episode. It is a monster <laughs> of an episode. I told you at the beginning it would be more rambly, and it was. So. And it
0: was. And it was.
1: <laughs> and indeed, it was. It was. So if you've stuck around this long, thank you guys for listening. I know that this is a complicated episode, so I hope that we are able to talk about some things that you agreed with and maybe some points of the story that you didn't agree with. Be interested to hear more of your thoughts. This is a fascinating episode for a lot of reasons. So let us know what you think. You can find us online on Twitter at SkyTalkers Pod or our personal handles, Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website and Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is where you can find those pictures of Lone Wolf and Cub if you're interested in the scene that we've talked about a hundred times at this point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like we need to stop talking about it, but we're not gonna stop talking about it when well, it comes up again.
1: I know <laughs> <laughs> At the start of the That's season, the here. at the start of the season, I remember thinking to myself, "I should stop talking about that scene with the ball and the sword because I think I referenced it every other episode last season." But you know, now they referenced it, so it's <laughs> not my fault. <laughs> this is, and this is me bringing up the same seventeen Dave Filoni quotes in every episode too. Like, do you guys remember this quote by Dave Filoni? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's listening, like, yes. We do. <laughs> Let's find some new ones. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That's, that's fair. I will try. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for listening. And um, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, we would really appreciate it if you took a second to do that. So other people can find our show and join in in the ever-evolving conversation about Star Wars and Baby Grogu. Now, because now we have a name, and if you are interested in joining our Discord, where there is always conversation going on about the Mandalorian and everything else going on in Star Wars, and I've really loved all of our Discord's thoughts about this episode of the Mandalorian, really helped me piece together a lot of my thoughts too. So, shout out to our Discord, and uh, if you are interested in being a part of that, you can check out our different reward tiers on Patreon, and just search Sky Talkers, and you'll find us.
0: And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Nanami, Catherine, Ashley, Lindsay, Lola, Kat, Dave, Nikki, Christina, Brendan, Emma, Lauren, and Hannah. Thank you so much for supporting us.
1: Yes. Thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you.
0: May the force be with you.